Hey everybody and welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere. Good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host returning from my little breaky, Dave Ryan, and I am joined as always by first, my faithful co-host. He's the platforming prodigy. He's Mark Robinson. He's enjoying his dreamy, creamy summer, no doubt. Oh my God. You just throw all the knowledge fight references at me and you've got me. <laughs> yeah. You got me in your back pocket. I've been meaning to do that for weeks, and oh. I just keep forgetting every time the light goes red on my mic. Uh, uh yeah, I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm currently up to I think I've completed eight games this week so far. Um, mm. so you know, as you can presume from that, uh, Maria's on holiday at the moment. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I've just my my little uh, handheld that I've picked up. I I've not really been able to put it down this week mm. uh, since I finished college. And uh, I'm going for some sort of record. I don't know what... There, there, there must be a Guinness Book of World Records. For like, saddest man. Saddest man <laughs> and most games completed in a week. Um, you know, they're probably the same thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm good. Mark, as well, before we move on to our other co-hosts here, uh, we, do, hey. we do this every year. We forget this. Is like just before E3 is the like official anniversary of the podcast. I guess it and is. We've missed it, yeah. it again. We've, yeah. we've got it like it, over the last couple of weeks. We've at some stage gone into year eight of this thing. I mean, in fairness, I feel like you've probably been very, very busy with your other podcast and setting up uh, the old Patreon, which, by the way, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very the, much. Uh, Patreon.com slash WCW Thunderpod. Uh, for those who are interested, uh, tnhad.com. So, yeah. Just going to throw tnhad.com. Just neither here nor there. tnhad.com. Who's that voice? Uh, but yeah, um, what is it? Six, seven? How fucking long we've been? Seven years. Seven, seven years. years. We're, we're in now in year Jesus. eight because 2015 we started. My God, who'd have thought? Yeah. Who'd have thought, punk? Huh? We made it this made it this long. Certainly not I. When like three months in, you bollocks off to China for a while. <laughs> Cheers, Brian. Still appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And when like three episodes in, I was hospitalised. <laughs> We've been yeah. through it. We've been it through it. It's a rough start. If we can yeah. make it through that, we can make it through anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, look, speaking of trips to England, one that ended much better this time. Uh, we're joined as well by the Sidona simp, a man who I hugged and inhaled the joyous musk of this week. It's Jack Lazell. How are you, my friend? Yeah, not bad, thanks. That's uh, Pegasus by Parfums de Mali, if you were wondering, if you wanted to, <laughs> you know, intoxicate yourself with that scent. But enough of Jack's perfume cast. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a Patreon, Dave, so I, I had no material to jump in with when you and Garrett were, were shamefully shilling your shit right there. Yeah. Well, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, say, we'll, we'll just shill it again to fill that gap. <laughs> no. I have a coffee account. Maybe I should shill that. Yeah, um, I actually Jack. just have a coffee, like just a drink, <laughs> and it's lovely. The Jack just put money into. Yeah, <laughs> something I hadn't reflected on Jack this week. So we we were finally reunited after pretty much three years, and it felt so um, good. This last week, and it really did. Um, but something I hadn't reflected on that I didn't give you credit for at the time is that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, listening to the show, I have never seen a man power down a calzone like I saw this man do at the weekend it was an impressive feat look it was it was okay like I, I've had better calzones but at the end of the day there was a lot of like mascarpone mixed up with mozzarella in there and it was yeah. it was it was still like gooey hot and it's one of those things where you know when that cheese goes like a little cold it's just not as pleasant to eat so I, I mm. just I needed to go to town on that bad boy and I make no apologies for that rounding out the panel obviously the nexus of humanity extreme G himself the morb man <laughs> it's Garrett Kidney <laughs> I am in fact the morb man 
<laughs> he lives on Drury Lane. The Warband Land. <laughs> he do understand. Oh, There's God. a very deep cut Irish oh, reference I'm for tr- you. I'm triggered. I'm tr- <laughs> extremely triggered by that. Especially because, like, so, like, I'm... And, by the way, happy belated birthday. You celebrated a birthday this week. I'm so old. I was, I was, like, at... When the Morbegs were on the den was when I was literally... I was at the age where children TV proper embarrasses you yes and i had little cousins who watched every single fucking episode of that shit what was the name of the dipshit with the socks i've I've suppressed it long since suppressed it dipshit with the socks what a great kids tv show that must have been i was about to say we can't do any bosco erasure here today we we do have to shout out bosco as well yeah bosco uh this like uh, the most fucking raggedy ass looking puppet you've ever seen in your life with like a nightmarishly high voice they go hello children yeah Haunt your dreams fucking that Jesus. sounded like Robin Jesus. Williams's uh, Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire voice yes. hello yeah, I was yeah. gonna say he just sounds like Garrett when he gets wound up Ooh. yeah Ooh. shots yeah, fired Mark, Mark is increasingly just like mentioning bad takes to me on this show now just to get me going <laughs> <laughs> he did it well, last week with the Sonic fans last week he was like oh the Sonic people are saying you can't judge the marketing and just wind me up and away I go <laughs> the yeah. first like the first appointment TV I remember as a kid was uh, the Turtles mm-hmm. like we literally so many people in my play school loved Turtles that the woman who ran the play school literally let us go into her sitting room to watch the Turtles every day before we went home because <laughs> there would be a massive fucking strop if we weren't allowed. I thought the end of that sentence was going to be, you got like a pet turtle or something. Oh, if only. If only. Um, <laughs> and they're just bringing all sorts of chemicals to the turtle to see if it would... <laughs> just Dave, like, squirting bleach on the turtle to yeah. see if it would go really become sentient any second now. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Garrett, some, something I, I hadn't realised before is how alarmingly close our birthdays are together. Uh, because my birthday is next Thursday. Yeah, June kids. Yeah. What, what up? That was the most pathetic attempt to relate to each other. Like, you yeah. two actually know this, each other. This is yeah. why we don't record the video content part portion of this. Hey, I'll have you know, those were some incredible gang signs I threw up. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yes you're a regular crip blood. I can tell that you deal with uh, young adults all day long. I know. Oh, let me tell you, the, when I lean into the cringe humour, I don't know how you do fellow kids as as hard as you can I don't know if I ever told this one on the podcast but there was one uh, where they were they were talking about games like because they know I'm a games guy I usually set up my switch during like the kind of the casual drop-in sessions and stuff like that and one of them was talking to somebody else about League of Legends and I was like League of Legends you mean me and the boys (laughs) 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 They, they all nearly went home they were fucking disgusted Dave's like rocking the dad humor before he's even yeah, yeah. a dad. Yeah, yeah, love it. Gotta, gotta lean into it, man. I'm over the hill now. Yeah, we're um, all over the hill now. Yeah, damn right. We're all in our thirties now. The last vestiges of youth just fucking scuttered away from this podcast over the last week. Good job, Gareth. God, we're all just old podcast men, podcast men it, now, sitting around our microphones, being like, "Back in my it, day, they had the more." It really bags. is. It, it actually, yeah, she's now has like transitioned into just a tragic two hours of us, yeah, reminiscing. Yeah, I remember when Morbius was in cinemas. <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> um, Wait, it's not hey. in cinemas anymore. Oh, God yeah. damn it. Blink and you'll miss it, man. Um, Hey, let's talk about what we've seen this week. Uh, I'm looking at the big list here, 
And the one that intrigues me the most is, Mark, I have no I idea know. what the fuck you've been watching this week. <laughs> oh, God. Right, so... Um, I just thought this was a typo, by the way. I just thought no, like, you might no. pass out halfway through writing something. <laughs> so uh, my, my flatmate or housemate, uh, he introduced me to a YouTube channel called Jelly's Marble Runs, which is a YouTube channel run by two Dutch brothers. Um and basically it is like they do presentations of like an olympic sport or uh stuff like formula one but in the form of marble racing right but it's not just like you know they're in their fucking basement and they just drop some marbles and they race and you know that's the end of it the production levels of this thing are insane like they're incredibly high quality production levels for what is just you know marble runs um but they take it a step further than that right so there's like 16 teams made up of like four characters or athletes for marbles per team but each team has their own name each marble has its own character and uh all of this is wrapped up in the presentation of there's uh they have like an american commentator who just has just enough charisma to make the whole thing like and he's treating this completely like kayfabe like he's been completely legit about it but the whole thing is ridiculous it's just self-aware enough to not you don't feel ridiculous watching it you actually kind of you want to go along with it um i guess it's kind of like wrestling to some degree and I ended up watching about four hours of it. Uh, each of these are like 10 minutes long. And there'll be one thing where, you know, there'll be a, a racetrack. If you think like a Skeletrix track, it's kind of set up like that. Um, the track is obviously, it goes slightly downhill to account for the fact that the marble's running. Uh, and then at the end of it, there's a conveyor belt that takes them back to the top and they go around again. And there'll be like 12 uh, laps. And on the left-hand side, it will have, you know, if you watch Formula One and you've got the, the rankings and it's changing constantly as the, the race is going on, it's exactly like that with this commentator treating it like it's an actual race. And it's completely fucking absurd, but... The really charming thing about it is if you look in the, the comments section, everyone is treating it like a, you know, like a legitimate thing. You know, everyone has their favorite team and their favorite racer. And if you kind of go along with it like that, it's actually quite enjoyable to just kill a couple of hours and watch. Um, and it gets even more ridiculous when you get into like the, the Olympic sports style stuff that they do, um, because they'll do a thing where uh they'll set up this kind of small obstacle course where they're like these kind of waves that the marbles have to go over and the further along they go go they go um the higher the points they'll get but then if they get go too far to the end then it's like a drop off and there's no points and i just i sat there for 10 minutes and i was like completely not gripped by it but just engrossed by it and uh yeah jelly's marbles runs i i you haven't watched anything else because I haven't seen Top Gun yet because I just keep watching this. So <laughs> do uh, the marbles cut promos? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, not. No. But what is really cool? Uh, they do like between each of the like the the races or the runs or whatever. Um, they obviously have to set up like the next ones. So what they do is they'll do a cut to like the crowd because they set up like um, 
basically like little kind of mini stadiums, little podiums with like a whole bunch of marbles that are color coded to the corresponding team. And they'll do like stop motion sections where they're holding up fans and stuff and or signs and the signs are moving in stop motion, uh, which is really endearing. Uh, but no, there's no marbles cutting promos. I feel like that might be taking it just a step too far. I would personally go like full everything everywhere all at once and put googly eyes on all the marbles and have them start cutting promos. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the next season. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't put it past them. Clearly, I have anyway, to do this yeah. idea now. It, this thing is really dumb, but I enjoy it. So, so Garrett's Marble Run Patreon is at... <laughs> <laughs> cutting shoot promos. Breaking the fourth wall with the marbles. Well, let me tell you something, Marble Brothers. Yeah. You know, they say all marbles are created equal, but you look at this marble and you look at... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You would absolutely have to play Marvelous Me. Ah, well done. Very good. Top notch. Very good. I'm very fair to that one there. Dr. Michael Marvelous. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. We have taken Um, a thing that has brought Mark so much joy this week. (laughs) And it was <laughs> we, we fucking morphed all over us. Morphed all over us. Morb, morb, morb. How do you like it? <laughs> I'm muting now while I'm coughing. <laughs> he's not coughing, he's screaming. <laughs> These fucking idiots I share this podcast with. Oh my god. Um, Garrett, you have quite the slate this week. Um of things that I have also seen in my week off. Um, so I'm, I'm quite happy to chat about these things. Yeah, we'll do Top Gun Maverick quite quickly because Jack talked a lot about it last week and talked about that it. That movie fucking rocks! Yeah, it's just, it's just like, it's just the perfect movie. Why don't they yep. make all blockbusters be good movies? It's just you sit there and it's just such a well-made piece of filmmaking that you're like, ah, oh, I am in a place of great comfort and this movie is perfect. Do you know what I um I thought, Garrett, as well? And it's something I didn't mention really on the show last week and I'd be interested to see what your take is on this and then I won't speak again I'll let you go crazy on this but so many movies now have to be like almost like a snarky sub-commentary mm. on the ridiculousness of the movie where they're like oh you know this is you know oh I can't believe we're doing this or that just happened or any of that stupid shit you know everything has to be like jokey or not taken seriously or whatever this movie was done with a completely straight face and just delivered well and that works like you don't have to be self-aware taking the piss out of the people that have decided to watch your movie to be a good movie you can just deliver deliver a good movie and that's what they did right i do think like we are in an age where it is better that these things are sincere than self-aware because like they've just begun eating their own tail with self-awareness at this stage that they're undercutting their own stakes they're undercutting their own story Mm -hmm. they're undercutting everything because they insist on letting you know that they are aware that the thing they're doing is a film trope and they have to point out it's a film trope and make sure that's like well we we know what's happening here we know what's happening instead of just making a good ass movie and as you said this is just a good ass movie really is yeah i just dudes fucking rock Wow. Yep. <laughs> it's just uh like Jack, you you covered it very well last year, so I, like I, or last week even. Um so I don't want to get like too into it. I felt like it was one of the rare movies that like not only what you said about that, like it's not doing that look, we know it's mortifying stuff like that, but I love that it's definitely heavily referential of the original, but not mm-hmm. in a way that's like, yeah, you're just you know, like Right, um, not Rise of Skywalker, the episode seven. What was that again? Force Awakens. 
Force Awakens. Force Awakens. So Force Awakens is essentially a new hope again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and Top Gun Maverick like has some of the same beats um, as the original, but not in a way that's like, well, that was a complete fucking waste of time. And I think it will hold up on rewatches a lot better than something like The Force Awakens because it is its own thing. And like some of the most incredible like action shots oh. I've seen in a movie. Oh, dude, one at the start of the movie where the plane flies over Ed Harris at the very start and the, the yeah. building flies off and you see the force of the wind of the plane and it's just spectacular feeling. Yeah. I felt that. See, I watched it in IMAX and like the, the foley and everything of that moment was just incredible. Do you, do you know what like a week later my favourite thing about it is? It's it's such a fucking simple movie yeah. Yeah. to follow. Like, it's, here is the goal. We're going to spend a good third or more of this movie, like, laying out the parameters of the mission, showing everybody slowly improve, slowly get more ready for this mission. There is, like, every character has, like, an arc of progress, whether it's in terms of, like, literally just being able to fly planes better or, you know, them as a character learning something. Um, it's a, like a small, tight cast to the thing. It just doesn't. A lot of these, um, you know, soft reboots or you know, um, long after the original movie sequels really try to overcomplicate things and do too much. But like, the the crew behind this just knew all we need is bare bones story, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible, and fucking great action. Yeah. Nailed it. And then just Tom Nailed Cruise. it. Tom Cruise can do the and rest. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the best. Like, there, there's no one that's a better movie star. I said that last week and I really fucking stand by it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know if I will see a better... Like, I, I might see, like, obviously, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a better movie than this, right? But I don't think I'll see a better executed movie than this this year. Mm-hmm. No. Like, I, it, it just, you know... When somebody gets the absolute maximum out of their, you know, abilities or whatever, say, like, I don't know, like, to compare it to, say, like, Mick Foley, right? (laughs) Mankind, like, he got the maximum out of his abilities uh, as as an entertainer that he was ever going to get. He absolutely smashed it. And this movie does exactly that. Yeah. And you know the other thing is like it's one of the rare se- one of the rare kind of sequels or soft reboots where you're like, actually, that movie needed a kind of like a, a new one of those you know because if you watch that original and you try to kind of divorce yourself from the the rose tinted glasses element it's like it kind of is a pretty hokey movie now it doesn't the original top gun doesn't really hold up that well i feel like it, it's more just the case that like this is the original top gun made for the times that it's being released in in the same way the original yeah. top gun was very much made for the times that was released in oh yeah 100 yeah. percent. yeah and there's very much just like again in work this week talking to people who definitely weren't of the generation to properly enjoy the the first one and wouldn't have the nostalgia for it who just saw the second one and were like that fucking rocked yeah, you know, so it works very well as a, as a standalone, and I think again part of the beautiful simplicity of that movie is I don't feel you have to have seen that first movie at all. No, they at all. lay it out really good. Yeah, and I know about you two guys, uh, but I was getting a little choked up at the the Iceman segment. Yeah. Oh, I got really choked up. Like Val Kilmer smashed that bit. Like he 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 didn't really talk. He just everything yeah. he said he said with his eyes, and like. 
that is just such a that's a sort of example of like you want to show a young actor how to convey emotion because yeah. too many films spend time telling us how to feel about something rather than showing us how to feel about something i you want to talk about a guy who it's so sad that we don't get to see that guy ply his trade properly anymore because of his illness yeah um it's really good and like i fucking one of my favorite college movies go-to college movies was tombstone I am obviously a massive advocate of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Great and movie. I gotta love that, like, at a time where, you know, he probably could have written his own check and gone and done, like, big franchise movies. He went, no, actually, what I want to do is do a one-man show as Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Under heavy prosthesis for a long time and just not bother with being in movies. Yeah, he's just a kooky artist guy. Yeah. Because of the, some of the action movies and stuff that he did, I think people just assumed he was this sort of guy. But Especially no. like those Batman movies are probably the thing. Like when you say Val Kilmer, that's probably what people think of first. And yeah, yeah. of course. Those are a very particular kind of movie that probably color people's opinion of him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I'm the high man on Batman forever, I think both so, of those movies yeah. rule, but that's, that's just me. Yeah, Garrett. Batman Forever's great. Like, that's the like the height of of the sort of camp movie. I love, it's just perfect. I, I, I love it too, but I know based on you know myself and Garrett's side hustles, uh, you can't really go by what we enjoy <laughs> as a as a barometer <laughs> of taste. Horrific sadists. When you think about <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, hey, hey, at least TNA had high points, All right, Dave? Are you? What are you talking about? Obviously, I, he's never seen Enos. World, yes, you're right. World Championship Wrestling was terrible. <laughs> no, I'm mean about Thunder specifically. Hey, Thunder started literally the week of their biggest show of all time. Yeah, which bombed in terms of like... Uh, creatively, but there is yeah. still... Look, I'll, 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 I'll smack you back into line on, on World Championship Wrestling, if needs be, my friend. Okay, well, but you know what got- you should have done? You know what you should have done is not started with me by making yeah. me watch a whole bunch from the year 2000. I know. So it's kind yeah, of your yeah. own fault. No, I very much enjoyed doing that to you. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, Garrett, I haven't got to talk to somebody uh, about this properly yet, but you watched Stranger Things 4. Um how did you find it? I was one of those people who was very like fatigued with Stranger Things already. Like I just, yeah. I thought the show was just spinning its wheels for two seasons. Like it had the first mm. season, which was a big hit. And then it's like, we don't really know where to take this next. So we're just going to tell some generic monster stories that throw back to the 80s and hope for the best. And like, <laughs> it's like they didn't expect to get ordered for a second mm. season. And they're like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. This is now like the biggest show in the world. And we actually have to do something with it. So like, for yeah. Those two seasons, I don't think they're terrible, but like the degree to which I could remember them by the time you got around to the next season yeah. is is minute. The the only thing I really remember now about season three is that Maya Hawk shows up and she just like everything I've seen her in, like she screams uh like mega star mm. on the screen. Like she has this presence. Like given, you know, her parents, that is very understandable. Uh but yeah. That's the only thing I remember from season three. And it was in a mall. Yeah, there was the mall season. That's what everyone knows. It's yeah. the mall season. What else happened there? I don't know. Monsters. Yeah. yeah. So my expectations were like on the floor coming into this. It's like, yeah, I'm going to watch it mm. because I watched the other three seasons. And this is like the first volume of the last season they're going to do. So fuck it. I'm in. Yeah, I, I was um, the exact same. I was like, I have no emotional investment in this thing anymore. I don't really care about it. But it is still a humongous television property, so I will keep watching it. And then I watched it, and I think it's the best season by far. I think it's really, really good. 
I think it might be. Um, it's it it really really is like they very quickly some of the things I didn't like about season three they either binned them or made them make sense. Um, some of the new characters uh, they've introduced I really like. I really love Eddie. Mm. Um, some of the characters that were kind of like maybe bit part characters um, that they've like given a more beefed out role to I've really enjoyed. I am a huge Murray fan. <laughs> Yes, Kung Fu Master now. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think it's really good that I think, uh, like, obviously the, the breakout star of season one was Betty Bobby Brown, and it was obvious that the show was going to center around her. But I am really loving that they're giving Sadie Sink a big role this season because I actually thought of, you know, the, the kind of teenagers they've added over the years. She's the one that I thought, they give her something to do. She seems like she has a lot of range. Mm. Um, I think like all the characters, I think they do decent justice this year. Like I, I think yeah. all the character pairings, because that's the thing this show does. It like it silos off characters by themselves and pairs them off, and then brings them together, which is the natural TV format. But I think all the character dynamics work. I think just the tone of the show is a lot better, where it is legitimately spooky. Like there's those scenes where yeah. bones start breaking and people start snapping, and it's like it's yeah. good body horror. I wasn't prepared for them to do that. Yeah. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I like I I really I thought like I I have to you know the all these episodes are longer than an hour. Some are like ninety minutes, and I know the last two I think are like two and a half that haven't come out yet for this this mm. kind of season. And for a show to have episode lengths that long, and for me to think, oh, it's still actually you know it's really good, it's worth investing in, and I'm not checking the clock. You know, a huge thumbs up to them, especially for as we said, a, some a show I'm not particularly interested in. But I think they like obviously it's very Nightmare on Elm Street inspired, very yeah. and not and like to- shamelessly. They're not hiding it. Yeah, Robert Englund literally shows up. Yes, he is in the show. So they're like, yeah, this is very Nightmare on Elm Street this year. We have a very Nightmare on Elm Street villain. And I think it, like that villain works really well. That The entire vibe works really well. The trips to like the Upside Down, I think, are pretty cool. And yeah. just the, all the ideas they go for. And obviously all the kids have disco- discovered Kate Bush, which I think is a net good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's the only way I really knew what was going on with this when everybody started getting into Kate Bush. I was yeah. actually, There's, I found it weird because it's like the, the, the Kate Bush song is in the first episode. And I was like, really? That's like, it's a good song, obviously, but that's not. A, and it's it, and it's a pretty damn good montage it's cut to as well. Yeah, which Kate Bush song? Uh, Running Up That Running Hill. Up That Hill. Oh right, okay. Yeah, I mean that's a great, that's a classic. People didn't yeah, know that song. It's like it's like a running, like it's not quite a one shot, but it's like this sprawling take of what pretty much every character is doing. Mm. Uh, cost to yeah. uh, run mean, up that hill. It's great. In fairness, there probably is a generation of people watching the show that have not heard of that song or heard of Kate Bush before. Like that's going to happen. Obviously, it's no, the they, are, they also saw WrestleMania twenty five. <laughs> oh, God damn it, Dave. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what am I going to do, you two? Uh, but, yeah, but the way they use that song at the end of, I think it's the fourth episode, as you said, the, the, the episode that focuses a lot on Sadie Sink. Tremendous yeah. stuff. Just excellent, it, excellent stuff. It comes by, it basically becomes a motif for the season. It's a reoccurring, um, it's a reoccurring bit. And yeah, it's a great song. It's, I mean, it's a great, it's a very well scored show anyway. Mm. Um, some of the something you hit on there, Garrett, like with the upside down stuff. Some of the, the 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 decisions they've made in shooting and in terms of effects, I think, have paid off really well this year. Um, the practical effects on the antagonist, I think, look fucking rad. They, they will stop using CGI. Use practical effects; yeah. they rock. Yeah. 
um, there is one really like cleverly shot bit involving like a bed sheet being used as like a rope to climb mm-hmm. from the upside down back to the world. And the way that whole thing is shot is fucking class. Um, and like that whole last yeah. episode, by the way, the Massacre at Hawkins Lab, the, the last episode of this like part of it, this volume, because this season's split in two best episode of the show like it it ties so many of the little things together that they're like as i said they're finally moving this story and this plot forward in a way that's actually interesting instead of just running on the spot and not in a not in a like game of thrones last season way where it's like oh shit we're running out of time Mm. it's like no it seems pretty well paced and so the the other thing as well maybe the one like bit where i kind of cringed a little bit is um they do the thing that some movies do and actually uh, a movie I'm going to talk about in my segment where they clearly are superimposing a slightly older person's head onto a younger person's body. Oh, or they're de-aging or they're doing whatever they are. De- it's yeah, just, stop it, no. So they, they do backflashes, I won't say how or why, to 11 right, where, when the age she was in the first season, slightly before the events of the first season. Um. But they're because they're new scenes, it's new footage. So they're essentially like like a superimposing current day Millie Bobby Brown's face and de-aging it onto a child. And it it, it looks really weird. I that must be one of the first times that de-aging has been used on someone under the age of like thirty. It's not just yet in Marvel movies to make people look like sixty year olds look thirty-five. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually, it's funny because it's the bit about the movie I'm going to talk about that I took most exception to, but we'll get to that in a bit. I just wanted to ask one question, right? Because one of the big things about, like, the original season of Stranger Things and the effects of it on a lot of kind of pop culture and and films and television afterwards was the kind of, like, 80-fication, 80s-fication for a, a while afterwards. And, you know, that show in particular, like... And I feel like they, there are still elements that you would find in seasons two and seasons three, like the mall in particular in season three is like here, here is the eighties, like just slap yeah. bang this building. Do they do anything? Obviously, you know they're using Kate Bush, and so the soundtrack is still pulling from that. But like visually, or is there any like kind of pop culture references? Like, is it still? Yeah, feel honestly, like it's trying the, to- the most interesting thing for me is thematically. Because, like, one of the big themes running through this the season is moral panic associated with D&D. And I think, yeah. like, leaning into that stuff, yeah. leaning to that, like, it's, 80s moral panic. Yeah, it's this, it's the satanic panic. Yeah. It's, it's, that, that's ah, my favorite thing. Interesting. That's my okay. favorite thing. Because there's still stuff with, like, the commies and there's still, like, some loose kind of 80s reference. Mm. But mm. I think in the hitting you in the face that it's the 1980s stuff has receded. And it is, as Garrett said, more thematic this year, which I... Uh, I really do uh, enjoy. I have to say, um, yeah, Stranger Things four, man, it's it's pretty pretty damn good show. Yeah, big two uh, thumbs. If you, again, if you were one of the people who was like, oh, after these seasons two and three, I'm kind of out. Watch season four; it's really good, and you don't have to remember what happens. They they catch you up on everything that's important. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go to my one next. So I saw um the new Alice Garland movie, Men. Um, this past weekend. Every time I see that title, I feel the urge just to say, am I right? At the end. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and it's very much, it's funny, like, it, it's very much, um, like, it's one of those things where I've seen a lot of people talking online about it, and it's just like, um, it's the, it's like the third film of his in a row that has a lot of theme or subtext about uh, 
women as victims of men and people talking about whether it's appropriate for a like a straight man to make that co- that commentary um it, it kind of shutting that capital d discourse out of the way for a minute like as a just as a, a piece of cinema to enjoy by itself um i liked it quite a bit like i don't like it nearly as much as i like ex machina i like it a lot more than i liked annihilation um it's Jesse Buckley is this person who came absolutely out of nowhere. Uh, was it maybe a year ago, if anybody remembers, when I'm Thinking of Ending Things came out on Netflix? No, I, I mean, like, Jess, Jesse Buckley, like, I, I saw her in Beast, which was maybe 2017. Yeah. Um, but, like, in terms of, like, everybody being, like, this this person. My yeah. God, this person. It's it's definitely the last year, 18 months. I, I guess so, but I honestly anyone that I, I, I begged you to watch that movie, didn't yeah. I? Like yeah. it's yeah, that's so good. Um and I, I feel like this she probably has similar vibes in this, right? Mm. Um she's like and it's really it's a two hander because it's um it's Jesse Buckley uh as the lead character and she's somebody who had had um, a very destructive, abusive relationship that led to the the it's revealed very early early on led to the um suicide of her partner, and um she is going to this like sleepy village, renting out like in sort of like an Airbnb situation, renting out this this country home in the middle of nowhere, um to try and kind of like recover and rehab from from the trauma of all that, um. And she is basically set upon in various ways by the the Denzians of this this village, all of whom, all of whom are played by Rory Kinnear. (laughs) This was not something that I noticed. Like the the first teaser trailer, you don't really notice it that well because like he's in all sorts of different like, you know, there's one where he's like the, the kind of like fancy tough landlord. He's also the priest. He's also... Um, you know, the the bartender or the landlord down in the bar. He's also like a couple of the customers in the bar. He's also the policeman. It's like he's all different people, but nobody is, including Jesse Buckley, is commenting on how he's the same guy. I was going to say, know? is is it that he actually is all of these people or is she hallucinating that? This it is not implied. It is not at any stage said you are to interpret what the meaning right. of it is okay. Um, okay like my reading on it was kind of like you could read a very surface level um thing that all men are the same like that's the very surface level reading of what the message behind that is like i i, I took it just by the behaviors of all the the men that are shown in here is that um it's kind of like for each one of the characters that rory kinnears plays it's like the mask that is put on um, that no matter what a lot of these characters' good intentions are, at a certain point the mask slips and the way they treat Jesse's character changes. Um, it's really so. The first, the first hour, I was absolutely gripped by it, and I thought it was building really well. It was really fucking tense, and part of it is just that whole. They are not commenting why all this is weird, and there is kind of like a dreaminess to it that. Kind of like you were asking me there, Mark, like, is this actually happening? You know, um, 
What is going on here? You know, there's a point early on before anything gets weird. You've only met one, one Rory Kinnear um, where she's having like a video chat, like FaceTiming her friend back in London, who is like maybe the only other major character that shows up in it. Um, and in the middle of like the, the FaceTiming, the, like the, the video chat glitches out and you can just see this distorted and horrible face screaming for like half a second and it flits back and then there's no comment is made about it. She's going like, oh, that was a little weird. I'm like, did she not fucking see that? Because I fucking saw that. Sitting here in the cinema, I saw that. Is this and like the warrior really... in the mirror segment? <laughs> oh, if only, if only. Um, so then like the kind of like mounting dread and like... M- harder to ignore weird things are happening and you start realizing that all these you know all these Rory Kinnears are are Rory Kinnear um and the problem I think a lot of people are going to have is that the last half hour will lose a lot of people because it goes fully into kind of both and I, I hate, God, I hate the term, but in terms of like when you have an extended period that just works on dream logic, it is quite Lynchian in that way. But um, appropriate enough, he has a new film coming out. I think a lot of the last half hour goes way into David Cronenberg, like unbelievably horrific body horror uh, happening. Uh, there is a sequence, let me tell you, um, involving a Rory Kinnear coming into the house after her very slowly that is going to put a lot of people off their dinners I think and is going to it was funny in the cinema that I was in about half full we ran the full gamut of emotions there was people who were horrified there was people who were looking away and then there was also people who were massively confused and one or two people who were laughing because it was just so like the movie took such a fucking left turn all of a sudden um and that is my one, like, apart from the, the visual effects thing, which I'll mention in a second, the one big drawback I have to this movie is that I really liked the movie that Men was for the first hour a lot more than the movie it was for the last half hour, if you know what I mean. Uh, kind of, and maybe part of it is the expectation when you go into an Alex Garland movie, is particularly after Ex Machina, where you're, you're watching it and that movie is all about a mounting sense of dread and you're wondering like when is the pressure going to be let off and it just never is it mounts and mounts and mounts until you feel like you're going to pass out um in this like to have that same sensation for the first 45 minutes or an hour and then it just goes fucking mental um i I don't know. I kind of enjoyed both of them as separate entities but I don't think it works as a cohesive piece. Um, the performances are fantastic from Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear. Um, the CG, there is one. So there's a, a, like a 12-year-old kid with Rory Kinnear's face in this and it just does not work. And part of it is just like, it's not the priciest looking, uh, super imposing effects you've ever seen in your life. But also I think there's a thing in your brain that disconnects. When you see Rory Kinnear's face, you know that face does not belong on that body. So I don't think your brain is going to accept it, even if it was pricier. They kind I just, of. I find it interesting that with that kind of thing, because I remember watching fucking Apex Twin videos twenty yeah. years ago, and like you know, the the superimposing or however it was done was done flawlessly and yeah. was actually completely fucking horrifying as well. Yeah, and it just seems surprising that maybe it's a budget thing. I guess. I guess, but because this is like quite a small movie, and like I'm guessing one of the actual practical reasons why Rory Kinnear is everybody is that I suspect a good bit of this film was shot during the pandemic. 
Mm. And it's easier to block off and contain and keep people safe on a set where it's mostly just two people acting. That would make sense, yeah. You know, um, that would be a guess of mine. And it just kind of, you know, worked in with the themes and stuff like that. But uh, as a like a, a, a performance piece, it's definitely worth watching. But I, I don't... I don't know how people are going to feel about the end. You know, I gave it, a, I gave it three and a half. Um, so it's definitely not like bad or anything like that. It just kind of doesn't go where I want it to go in the final act, which is you said, a shame. Because I, I saw Annihilation. I haven't seen Ex Machina, but I did see Annihilation. That movie fucking rules, man. <laughs> and I wasn't the biggest fan of the last, shall we say, 10, 15 mm. minutes of that film. Yeah. Um. It, yeah, kind of. I, I can't speak because I haven't seen Men, but it did feel like it suddenly swung into an entirely different yeah. film. It's the same. Um, it's the same kind of deal. Um, yeah, not exactly the same, but it is that same kind of like it just fucking pivots. When I was kind of like hoping it would stay the course, because Ex Machina does stay the course, and I think it sticks the landing really well. Um, and I think that movie is just like I. It's a you know, Jack knows this well because we did a podcast talking about it for like 45 minutes and I think Ex Machina is damn near flawless. Um, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, and the thing about Ex Machina is it really fucking sticks the landing. Like, it yeah. builds tension all the way through and then it pays it off. Yeah. Um, as as Men is set in a village, do you think it would have been better for the last half hour, 20 minutes or so, if instead of going in the direction it did, it went for like I know where you're going to go. Yeah, 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 I you're say that. Just yeah. running around, drop kicking Rory, Rory Kinnears in the face. But it, it's funny because like, Ex Machina also has that bit where there's one scene that in terms of tone absolutely juts out like a sore thumb from the rest of it but in Ex Machina it does it in a way that creeps you the fuck out and Jack you know what it is it's the scene with Oscar Isaac dancing yep and whereas in the weird scene in Men people were kind of like there was mixed reactions some people were into it some people absolutely weren't um, when the the sequence in Men happens Uh, anytime I've seen Ex Machina with people there is no laughing People are incredibly terrified of this man. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's men. I would definitely like I'd say it's worth watching, but um if you're gonna pick one of the two, pick X Machina every fucking day of the week, my friends. Um Hey, Jack. Alright. Kamala Khan Supremacy, am I right? Yes. Yes, you are right. Um Miss Marvel is really good. I have also seen um, it by the I- way, and yes, it is very good. Yeah. There you go. Um I, I think I had little to no expectations really of this, so <laughs> this was the one I was most worried about because I fucking love the Miss Marvel comics. Yeah. I didn't really have any experience with the Miss Marvel comics, but I really, really enjoyed the vibe they went for here. Um it felt not dissimilar in tone and art style, I think, to, to Scott Pilgrim or Into the Spider-Verse, where you're having a lot of kinetic energy um using graphics to support things that you know that that are actually happening in and around the characters in the scene which i think is really cool but most of all just the actress that they uh picked to play kamala khan is fucking pitch perfect as like a just sort of you know disenfranchised teenager who's really into something and her parents just don't understand it i think that story um is never going to not be relatable and i think if you execute it well like I'm going to be a sucker for it nine times out of 10. Um, but yeah, the basic premise is that she's 
a massive fan of Captain Marvel, like a super nerd, has her own YouTube channel, um, which I think they even name the same as her because she does, does she do like fan fiction and stuff in the comics? Yeah. Um, is it like Baby Sloth or something? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, they basically took that premise and, and gave her a YouTube channel, which makes makes total sense uh, to doing a visual medium in 2022 and, and nailed it, by the way. Uh, and well, she I kind wants of like to go- the fact that her YouTube channel has like 10 views on all her videos. It's yeah. not that, like she's a viral hit or anything. She's doing it for the passion. Exactly. She just really, really loves the idea of it. And I think yeah. that was that, that was super cool. Do you, do you know what Go blows on. my fucking mind? Go on. This is her first acting role. That that's crazy, isn't it? Because she's incredible, this actress. She's so, so good. Yeah. Um and I just think, you know, that the way that they build the character through the episode, you know, of her wanting to do this big you know, Avenger con thing that her parents totally don't want her to go to. There's a really heartbreaking moment. To me, the best scene of the episode, I would say, is that they don't, you know, her her parents are Pakistani and, you know, naturally they, they don't want her to be kind of wearing revealing clothes or what they would consider skimpy clothes or something. Something which even she's not particularly um, comfortable with herself. Like you see in the episode, she sort of puts on the costume. She's like, mm, it's a bit too tight. She even like tries to tie a scarf around herself to kind of make yeah. the outfit like less intrusive or whatever. But the, the moment where her parents are like obviously see how much it means to her to go to this AvengerCon uh, event and to the point where her mum's like asked her dad to accompany her and makes her uh, a Hulk costume and then her old man bursts in with his face fully painted green yeah. wearing an even bigger Hulk costume to be like ah I can take you to the thing and it's just heartbreaking from both perspectives because she really doesn't want to do that like she's a Captain Marvel stands. She wants to dress as Captain Marvel, and she wants to go with her buddy slash potential romantic interest. Um, who you know, it feels like it, that's where I kind of drew the parallels with the um, Spider-Man movies because I feel I feel like that her, the the sort of supporting character in this is very much just Ned Leeds from the the uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man very much a man movies. In the chair. But yeah, he's a, he's a super super man in a chair, um, but. It, it doesn't matter because I think they, they build his character really well and they have an interesting relationship but she just she's she's almost put out and upset by their efforts to, to be able to get her to go and just the wistful look of her old man when he thinks that he's gonna she's gonna be really excited and happy and he's standing there looking sad with his whole head painted green it's just heartbreaking and hilarious at the same time Um, and one thing that i think they pitch so well in this episode is that they get the melodrama and emotion that you feel as a teenager down pat really really well without it feeling cheesy absolutely everything is the biggest thing in the world exactly but it doesn't feel cheesy it feels it's they pitched it just right and that that was what i loved so much about this is that from a tonal perspective it just felt like a really cool teen show then you obviously have a bit of super powery stuff happening towards the end because you know Spoiler alert, Miss Marvel ends up being a powered person. Uh, and yeah, I hope I hope they carry the tone and it doesn't just become like another uh, comic book show. That's you know? legitimate. I that was it's... my biggest takeaway. It's like, I liked this first episode so much as just like a grounded show about this family that I'm almost yeah. sad it has to be a superhero show now. Yeah. Yeah. 
exactly but uh, I, and i hope they i hope they don't go too far in that direction but you know obviously they're gonna have to do some superhero stuff it is it is that's the course they're going to go with. And I would mm. imagine that they would want Kamala Khan to be involved in the MCU. And this is kind of introducing her and setting her up and everything. Mm. But my God, I just hope they keep the, the, the family dynamic, the, the, you know, like her and her brother and her and her parents and like her and her mate and everything. I just, I hope that stays all the way through and it doesn't just become another kind of procedural superhero where they build a big bad and then she just defeats them easily and like you lose the cool subtext and character stuff that they put into the show but tonally and the feel of this show it's just so bright kinetic and just put a massive smile on my face one of the interesting things i think jack um is how this acts as like the other side of the coin to um, the boys in how it approaches (laughs) superhero culture in a world where superheroes exist you know what I mean? Like, this is the, like, The Boys is the show where absolutely everything's the worst. Um, it's the fucking, like, every every way you can think of capitalists exploiting superheroes being real is done. Pretty much every superhero is a massive fucking arsehole. Um, yeah. Or criminal, or worse. Yeah. Um, Whereas this is just shows the really nice idealistic side of like, this is how I would be if I was a teenager and fucking the, the snap happened in real life and all that shit. I was like, this is exactly what I'd be like. I was like, these are fu- these guys are fucking awesome. You know, yeah. um, one thing I, I also thought was really interesting is how they change. Um, it, 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 it goes to show. Uh, where the priorities currently are in the MCU that they completely changed her origin story from the comics they're lifting from because in the the Marvel Now run of um of Miss Marvel she gets her powers because she is an inhuman yeah the Terrigen mists yes they, she get- they had their chance with inhumans twice yeah. and they they have done it in a way twice that obviously it's, it's very funny that like at one stage because they couldn't have the x-men marvel yeah. were pivoting towards like any mutant stuff you know oh yeah it's inhuman related shit we're gonna really get behind the inhumans that shit fucking bombed and yeah, i was like terrible. get these people as far away as possible except you can bring black bolt back once to blow his head out Oh, they did blow his head clean off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was no, there's no Terrigen mists. There's no Terrigenesis. To, I, I, I just yeah. think it would have been a lot to, to introduce that though. I, I don't yeah. think it would have worked. At well, all. you see, like it happens um, after the events of. Oh, I can't remember. Is it Marvel Infinity or something? Where basically there's no there's in in the comics there's an event. I think it's Marvel Infinity where there's like something happens on Atalan, the the Inhumans kind of floating island thing, and it um. In the I can't remember whether all the Terrigen Mist gets released or the island crashes or something like that. But basically, like. Terrigen mists are released all over the earth, waking up a, a huge amount of potential in humans. And that's how, like, Kama gets her powers. That did happen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. 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 Where, where, yeah it, they did it get released into the water supply the or whatever, and that's where we get a bunch of human, yeah. humans from. Yeah, that, that's essentially what happens in the comics. Yeah, um, and then one of those seasons was like a sort of, you know, monster of the week type style thing where they were tracking down different inhumans who were just showing powers. But in this case, it's um, 
in, in this case, it's it's like it's definitely we are staying away from that. Her powers seem to be derived from these uh, mysterious bangles that her grandmother had. Magic bangles. Yeah. And not just the bangles. Yeah. Um, there was no eternal flame in this show. There was not. Except that that in my heart for the, this whole show, because it was very, very charming, I think, is the, the, the how I'd wrap it up to say. Yeah. And do you yeah. know what? I don't think there's many ways that you could use the song Blinded by the Lights by the weekend that wouldn't really irritate me. But it just felt perfect in this show because yeah. she's exactly the right age to for her favorite song to be blinded oh, by the lights for the weekend can i say one of my favorite performances of a an embarrassingly cringy i'm a cool teacher uh i've seen in a while oh the guidance counselor yeah. guy yeah. oh he is shocking isn't he yeah, yeah he is yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. I wanted to shout out how this show looks, by the way. I think this show looks yeah. great. Yeah. It like it, it looks it looks vibrant. It actually like so many of these Marvel properties, especially the TV shows, are just like dull to look at. They're just just so unimaginative. And I think this show's the yeah. exact opposite. It's really interesting to look at. Mm. Yeah. For sure. And like a lot of that kind of um mixing up uh animation with live action that they do and yeah. there's uh, there's one oh there's one sequence i was in love with which is um a text conversation between her and her mate where instead of just like doing the classic boring thing that all films and tv do where they just show like um a graphic of what the screen looks like as she's walking along the, the street it's like Sherlock. Yes, the messages are like popping up in different pieces of the environment mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. them or underneath them or around them as they're walking along. I thought that was really, really yeah. well done. The, the best one was like on, on the ground as a like painted road sign that just said UG and the sad yeah. face emoji, but yeah. painted like that giant yellow shit that you see that normally tells you like stop or that there's a crossing happening or something. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. I, it to me that my, my my brain immediately went to Scott Pilgrim because I think that's what Scott Pilgrim did so well yeah. is he used those weird like little graphical tinges or having um, like all the the X's uh, yeah, exactly. in the background and scenes that you don't even notice and stuff. Yeah, no, honest, for sure. I've I've just gone to the episode of Always Sunny where they're at the zoo texting each other. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, just like that. Um. Right. Uh. Let's move on from all that then. Uh, gentlemen, with all that out of the way, and actually talk about some video games. Um, sounds like Mark's got a, a bit on the the slate here, but uh, I'll, I'll go first, um, just because it's very brief. I, for the first time in my life this week, thanks to the joys of the, the retro first time, thanks to the retroid. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I never had. Um, I never. I, ne- I had already stopped playing my advance when they came out, and then for Soul Silver and. Um, Heart gold. Heart gold. I didn't. I never had a DS. Oh no. Um. So I'm playing. Poor neglected child. I'm playing Pokemon Fire Red for the first time ever. And guys, I texted you this during the week. I am in love. Sensational with this. remakes. They're the best. Great it, games. Uh, sensational remakes to the point where I'm kind of mad that they aren't just still making all Pokemon games in this style. Because <laughs> this is the peak for me. I kind of. I'm not into the way. I'm into like how the Pokemon are animated, but I am no longer into the way that the characters are, the human characters are animated into Pokemon games. Um, the, are you only about like specifically like the chibi style? That yes, I, I yeah. do not care. 
Yeah, I, right. I would be in agreement. If they were to continue doing them in this direction, I'm trying to remember for the life of me what the Heart Gold and Soul Silver ones visually look. They looked like, like the DS games. They looked like uh, the Diamond and Pearl on DS. But yeah. just in okay, the different in a, in a good way though. They're the, they're the best of the yeah. remakes to me. The Heart Gold. They, they had the problem of like they by Gen Five, they're like we have to start pushing how these games look visually forward. But also every yeah. step further, they can, it's just it's just kind of worse. Like if they made like GBA style D makes of like Sword and Shield, I think I'd enjoy them more. Yeah. Oh, if every single generation came out looking exactly like Fire Red, I would eat that yeah, shit. They have up. two teams. They have the pandering to nostalgia team that makes GBA D makes of everything they're making, and then they're like the new game <laughs> that that's nice and cool. Uh, to yeah. be honest, what, what like, if what if that's the way that instead of like doing two different colors that have like different Pokedexes yeah. in them, like every generation is Pokemon new and yeah. old. You get your pixel art, your I three D graphics. Be, which do you want? Let's be let's be perfectly honest, though, because I imagine all of you like me uh, found like a massive ROM pack of Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games. And if I, the I if the authorities are listening, absolutely not. Rip them straight What's off a ROM? my GBA cart. Yeah, uh, that would include all of the uh, like Pokemon ROM hacks. Uh, like I made them the, myself. There's a yeah <laughs> on oh, the right. card is, with oh. the game. You can do My that God. for some reason. Um, Extreme G, Extreme Game. Hell Designer. yeah, um, yeah. Like the, I imagine there probably is like D makes. I mean, did you see the other day? There's a fucking uh, Game Boy D make of Elden mm. Ring um, that you can download mm-hmm. and you can play. Like I have it on my fucking my mini. So, like, you know, they probably exist somewhere because I would be in agreement. Uh, the like, because f- I played Fire Red at the same time, and I've actually just started picking it up and playing it again around about the same time. I guess you started as well, Dave. And it's just that perfect, like, because you go back and you play the original Pokemon uh, Red or Blue, and it's fun and it's fine and it's charming, but it's it's still ex- like. Fire Red is still extremely recognisable as the Gen 1 Pokemon game, but they have fixed every complaint you could possibly think of about the quality of life in that. Yeah, it just, and it looks so clean and like, you know, like, it just the colours are there. It's just the colour is yeah. more than anything and, else. Uh, do you know, know what else? The EXP bar. It's the greatest EXP bar. <laughs> uh, like, where it, like where it's just a simple blue one, it goes up and then the ding, when it, when it fills up, there's something I, so I, immensely I satisfying. I will say it is kind of rough to go back to not having all of your Pokemon share the EXP right from the start. Um, all I will say, right, is I'm about three, four hours into this game and all of my Pokemon are still at, like, level 12 and I just can't be dealing with you that. you got to swap point. them in yeah. and out. I have been swapping them in and out. Not enough. Absolute yeah, chunk. Evidently so, yeah. Uh, right, Mark, hit us. All right. Uh, so I, I was going to talk a little bit about Card Shark, but um, I'm only a couple of hours in, um, so I'll probably talk more about that next week. But I will say off the bat that that game is fucking great. And, I watched uh, you play it, and it did not look that fun to I, me. I played or, 30 I, minutes of it, and it's basically WarioWare with card tricks, and it is great. It's like, but set like during the French Revolution, and like the, the your kind of master, I guess, who is one of my favorite characters of the year, uh, it gets a bit tricky. Like I, I'm only again a couple of hours in, and there's a certain trick sequence that it wants me to do, and I cannot fucking wrap my head around it. Um, so I need to get back to that. I'll probably talk more about yeah, that next same. week, though. Um, yeah. So I have, as mentioned at the start of the show, I think I've completed about seven games this week so far. Um, I just, 
you know, with this console, like a lot of Game Boy games, they're an hour long, so you finish one and then you're like, oh, you know what? I think I could, you know, start another one. And then before you know it, you've two, two, an hour later, you've finished another one. Um, I had never played any of the Game Boy and Mega Man games. And, uh, you know, people that have listened to the show will know that I'm a big fan of Mega Man, but that's specifically the NES, the mainline series, and the revival with 9, 10, and 11. Um, there's a thousand fucking ports for, for Mega Man, and I haven't really played any of them. So, hey, now I'm going to do that. The Game Boy ports are kind of weird because um, they were outsourced to begin with, but, like... They, they, they're pretty much one-to-one to some degree of like their counterparts. So I've played Mega Man 1, 2, and 3 for the Game Boy so far. And they kind of follow Mega Man 1, 2, and 3 for the NES. Except, for a start, the original Mega Man on the Game Boy might be the most difficult game I've played. Or is at least in the top five of games I've played of all time. Like, if anyone that is able to complete that game without a save state, you have my respect. Because, uh... For a start, it's not like a one-to-one translation or a port in terms of the visual, like, real estate of space from the NES, like a CRT screen, I guess, back in the day, to a Game Boy screen. Uh, the level is tiny, but Mega Man is still is massive. So you basically can get hit by anything because you just don't have a lot of space to move around with. And there's way more in terms of, like, pixel-perfect jumps that you need to do where you're banging your head off of a roof and then there's a bottomless pit below. And it's, like, it's a 50-50 chance that you're going to hit that jump correctly. So, you know, I'm fucking moving screen-to-screen save-stating because, like, there's... You might be on a good run and then just everything just goes to shit in in no time uh, flat. So... Yeah, original uh, Mega Man on the Game Boy is incredibly tough. It's also incredibly stingy. I didn't see one uh, one-up pa- uh, life pickup at all. Uh, there were no power-ups at all that I found like during my, my playthrough. Uh, just an incredibly tough game. The solution um, is to rewind also- every time you get hit. That's all you do. Uh, save state works for me. Uh, it's... I, I know exactly where I'm going, like, my last stop, I guess, so I kind of get the rhythm of knowing, like, okay, down, right, left, or whatever my movements are that I need to do. Um, but it's weird, though, because, like, so, Mega Man games, you have eight bosses, eight levels, you do your fortress, good stuff. Um, the original Mega Man, though, was only six bosses, and so... I was expecting, like, all right, original Game Boy, Mega Man, it'll do the six bosses and we'll, you know, whatever. It only gives you four bosses and four levels, and I'm like, okay, that probably makes sense. Like, there's only so much space to work with on on a Game Boy cartridge. They just cut two bosses out, fine, sure, whatever. But you get to the end, and what the the mainline games would do is you get to the end and then you come to like a warp room where you do all eight bosses again in any order, and it's like a boss rush. I hate it. Um, It... (laughs) That isn't in, like, the original uh, Mega Man on the NES, so I wasn't expecting it to appear in the Game Boy one. It does appear, though, but it's four of the bosses from Mega Man 2. So it cuts out two of the bosses from the original, adds four from uh, Mega Man 2, and then for, like, the next three games, it's playing catch-up with itself, where, like... Mega Man 2 and the Game Boy is kind of like a merging of 2 and 3 from the NES, and then 3 from the Game Boy is a merging of 3 and 4 from the NES, and it just, like, they're playing catch-up until they get to 5, which I haven't played, but I know is, like, an original game. So I'm guessing at some point someone from Capcom is like, what the fuck are we doing here? This is ridiculous. Um, 
they're fine. They're serviceable ports. I guess if you had a Game Boy, you, you know, you'd appreciate them for what they are, but they're incredibly, incredibly tough. Uh, way tougher than the NES games. Um, I didn't realize until yesterday that there uh, was a port. So I knew that there are lots and lots of different ports of Sonic the Hedgehog, the original. Uh, it's appeared on countless uh, consoles and uh, devices like an iPad. Including for a new one it's in crazy. like two weeks. I know, right? Yeah. Um, I was on Barry's stream last night and he recommended the channel called, I think it's Stop Skeletons From Fighting, um, who he, the guy from that channel, does some really good stuff about like, you know, games that have had ports on many, many different platforms and kind of weird and unnecessary. And I've played a bunch of the ones for Sonic, but one of them I haven't played is the Neo Geo Pocket Color, um, which for some reason IGN gave a 10 out of 10, which caught my attention IGN's, like late 90s handheld reviews are just chaos because they just throw it's, tens it's, at games it's absurd it's, I, I it's such a specific thing for you to be knowledgeable about garrett and i love it's it it's one of those things where you just look at like you know you know what games of ign give it a 10 to and then you see in the 90s where they're just given tens to just any old weird ass handheld port and it's like what is going on in these offices because let me tell you, this is not a 10 out of 10 game, all right? The original Sonic the Hedgehog is not a 10 out of 10 game. And it's like, so visually, it's kind of, um, it, it harkens back to the uh, like Game Gear and Master System versions of Sonic, if you've ever played them, which are, which are kind of ports of the original Mega Drive game, but they're also sort of their own thing as well. So it's kind of like that visually, but then, you know, you have a spin dash and all, so this game, yeah, came out like 1999, right? All of the levels are from Sonic the Hedgehog 2, except they're not named the Sonic. So like uh, Emerald Hill Zone is like Green Anchor Zone or whatever the fuck. Like they're all com different names, but they use the soundtrack from Sonic the Hedgehog 3 on these Sonic 2 levels. So like during the Chemical Plant Zone, you've got like the Hydra City soundtrack playing in the background. And I'm like... Obviously, this was outsourced as well. This wasn't. This was a, actually. I think this was SN, SNK uh, directly um, ported this, and it's like, did they just like Sega go? Yeah, fuck it. Do we want? We don't care. And someone who hadn't played these games before but had a bunch of the assets and the levels and the songs just went, oh, that kind of works with that. Fuck it. I'll put those together then. Or was this like a conscious choice to say, nah? Or we, we don't have access to the Sonic Two. Uh, uh, soundtrack but uh you know we've we nabbed this from michael jackson so we, we have the sonic 3 soundtrack fuck it we'll use this i don't understand i don't understand how this happened um and it's kind of jarring because having played a lot of sonic 2 and sonic 3 to have these two kind of smashed together like that uh yeah it's weird it's sonic though like it's you know it's 10 fine. out of 10 um why are you calling it fine it's, <laughs> it's not 10 out of 10 do, do you remember when um a few years ago, everyone got mad because they put out the, the Neo Geo ports on 3DS and people bought it and thought it was just like OG Sonic. <laughs> That's yeah. good stuff. And they were very upset. What would have been better if they'd done that, but it was the Game Boy Advance port of Sonic the Hedgehog, which uh, I don't know if you've ever played that version. Is this the port of Sonic the Hedgehog or Sonic Advance? 
No, it's okay. Sonic Advance is his own separate game. Yeah. There and, and it was actually pretty okay. The Sonic Advance games are great. Yeah. All three of them, and Sonic Dash on the DS, they're great games. The the port of Sonic the Hedgehog on the Game Boy Advance is probably the worst version of that game because basically, uh, it's it's Blade Runner Enhance uh, to about t times ten. So you can see about that much of the screen, and Sonic takes up about two thirds of the screen. So you can't see shit. It's it's not great. Um, right. But, so I googled know, IGN play, games that got a ten. And the only system in the history of video games that has, has a, uh, more 10 out of 10 games according to IGN than the Game Boy Color is the PlayStation 4. Every other system is inferior to the Game Boy Color, with 10 out of 10 games like Mario Golf and Magical Tetris Challenge and Metal Gear Solid on the Game Boy Color, which I haven't played, but if that game's a 10, I will give IGN a million dollars. I have, and I, I really I, liked it. I know what I'm doing tonight, yeah. then. Like, that Metal Gear Solid game was really, really good. I think it was a, a remake of the original Metal Gear for SNES. They've also given Super Mario Bros. Deluxe a 10, which I guess it's still Super Mario Bros., so that kind of... They can get away with that one. Sure. Uh, Link's Awakening DX got a 10. Yeah, fine. I Oracle of that. Ages Season uh, at Gold and Silver and <laughs> Dragon Quest Three all also got 10s. Uh, yeah, Golden Silver a ten. That's fine. Oracle, the Oracle games. I mean, they're they're alright. But can I can I ask a potentially stupid question? What does DX stand for? Because there was like a Tetris DX as well. Please don't say Degeneration X. <laughs> I assume it's just Deluxe. You think Maybe. so? Like a shortened version of yeah. Deluxe. I just think it's just a snappy little thing to put on the front of the box that makes it pop. Possibly. I don't know. That's a good Three question. Three Atari yeah. Lynx games have gotten a 10 from IGN. Oh, fuck <laughs> They off. were Checkered Flag, Joust, and Lynx. Being on the Atari Lynx automatically docks <laughs> you three points. Uh, two Dio Dio Pocket Color games, one a Sonic Pocket Adventure, uh, and SNK versus Capcom, the match, match of the Millennium. 10 out of 10 game. All right, crazy. Fine. Whatever was <laughs> happening in those eyes, they were like, these handheld games, they're the future. 10, 10, 10. I mean, obviously, you can't all put that on IGN because it is based on, I guess, whoever is like, you know, running the ship at that time, um, who was massively into handhelds, mm. it would seem. But yeah, yeah, that's wild. Maybe they were trying to justify the fact they owned an Atari Lynx. <laughs> yes. uh, possibly. One of three people. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I have started playing is I'm running through uh, as many Bomberman games as I can get my hands on. Because like the Mega Man series, there's a lot of fucking Bomberman games. Um, and I've only played, I think I played about three or four growing up. Um, the original Super Bomberman on the SNES was my like furry into that series. Um, and actually is... I would say is the best multiplayer game on the SNES and of that era. Um, now that might be rose tinted glasses because I played a lot of it back in the day, and I had the the uh, four gang multiplayer extension for the SNES. Um, but that game was just incredible uh, and and kind of mind blowing for that age. But. Yeah, going back to Super Bomberman, it's just, it's like, if you've played Bomberman, you know what to expect, but it's just, it's such a clean, concise package of six worlds, eight levels, no fluff, no excess, which is one of the issues that Bomberman would run into, but I guess is what happens when you make 4,000 of them, you have to add additional bells and whistles. 
but it's just a nice tidy like hour to an hour and 20 package and uh just you know it still looks great and is actually sneakily one of the best soundtracks on the snes that doesn't get mentioned when you think of like best soundtracks on the snes uh like that won't come up but i would argue it's probably in the top 10 um and just yeah like i i, I don't even think it's like roasting at glasses i think that game holds up incredibly well um so then i jumped immediately into superman 2 which came out i think like a year later and Immediately, I could see why I like Superman 1 so much more because they immediately start to do a couple of things where they make the levels a little bit bigger, there's a little bit of scrolling. They start to do some things, certainly in like the last world, where they get really cheap, where there's like invisible mines that you can only see um, just, you know, just before like you were about to land on it. Then it kind of shows, hey, there's a mine here for you to blow up. And by that point, if you've been collecting power-ups and you're getting like the speed power-up, you're going too fast to be able to stop in time to see it. Uh, and just a bunch of little like cheap tricks like that, which lessen the experience for me. Um, so I'm now on the, the Turbo Graphics 16 version of it, which you can see kind of like, okay, the origins of what's going on there is what they would do for Super Bomberman. Um, there was a Watch Mojo video that said like the Saturn version is actually the best version, so I have that, so I'm going to look at that as well. Um, and then a uh, friend of the show, Sean McGee, was saying the uh, GameCube version in particular is a great version, so I have that to have a look at as well. So, yeah, um, just diving back into to emulating at the moment i fucking i completed tony Hawk's pro skater 3 today just because uh i'm i'm just a man without a girlfriend here to put me back on <laughs> straight and true at the moment so which uh did you like the handheld version or like the playstation 3 version the the, the ps2 version all right oh nice yeah because uh because playing it on the p on my pc uh i can get that uh running at 1080 and uh oh it's lovely well you saw the other night when i was streaming aggressive inline um yeah it looks incredible it looks really nice uh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I is aggressive inline on your list of things to talk about uh not really because i feel like you spoke about that at some point within the last year or two i want to say we had that conversation we did uh i think we managed uh, while the book when the book club was kind of running really dry i think on things uh, to cover i managed to get aggressive inline over the line yeah I, to talk about. I, I will say this right um that game rules yeah it, right. no it does it absolutely does and actually yeah. like it took me a little while to get back into the swing of the controls of that because uh like I was, I was constantly trying to like flip a board that obviously doesn't exist. So I'm hammering the square button. Like, why am I not doing any tricks? But once I got that that little thing down, I do feel like the aggressive inline controls better than the uh, at least Tony Hawk's three. Um, like I've been playing that, and I just it Tony Hawk's three. It moves too fast for me. I feel like aggressive inline goes at just the right pace that you feel like you're kind of fully in control of everything and can kind of move around. And I feel like the level layout and the design of the, the environments are way more, uh, there's way more going on at that point than now in fairness, like Tony Hawk's three was on the original PlayStation as well. So I guess they were accommodating for that. Um, I haven't played t the Tony Hawk's four in forever. So I, I know that they, Built those levels a little bit more because there was no timing yeah. on them. But they um, they they made them um, they made the game more like aggressive inline. One of yeah. the, the things that I think is coolest about the aggressive inline levels, and I promise this will be all I say on it, is the fact that every every level has a locked area, right? So in a Tony Hawk's game, you're completing that level 
doing probably all the goals if you're anything like me and then you never go back to that level again unless you're playing through as another character whereas in aggressive inline at some stage you get to like the fourth or fifth level and you unlock a key for one of the first levels and then you gradually go through and unlock all these hidden things so you go back and then revisit the levels with these whole other areas which are in some cases almost as big as the the main level area that you played through the first time uh, and then it gives you an excuse to go back and adventure and explore again which I just think is a really cool mechanic it's like it's giving you like half of the game until you're good enough to unlock the other half of the game which you do and then you can have a different experience I just yeah but n no other game has really had that that same idea in this sort of in this sort of format even yeah. Tony Hawk yeah it's it's been great it, I really enjoyed going back to that and I actually I also and this is the last thing I'll say um, I started playing American Wasteland for about five minutes and immediately whatever I thought and enjoyed about that game when I was younger was not there this time because I think it looks hot like it looks worse than Tony Hawk's 3 it plays worse than Tony Hawk's 3 and it's clearly just a we're living in a post GTA 3 world now and it's obviously trying to do the sandbox thing and i think it's f like the the five ten minutes i spent with it i thought it was fucking terrible um, I, I see i really like that game the only knock on i really it, liked it when i was younger as well though the only knock on it i think in terms of the sandbox thing is that to get from area to area there are like these long corridors that you grind down and you can trick off stuff um and it, it's just such an unartful way to do it when you compare it to something like ssx3 where you have the like the little stations where there's different like nooks and crannies and different ways you can go and explore even when you're doing the the gap between tracks while it loads the tracks and all of the stuff in whereas american wasteland is just like no here's a corridor that you can grind down and there's like two or three different grinds and it's quite clear that they're just loading in the textures for the new area while you're doing it yeah but even like past that you know the fact that you can get off the skateboard and walk around it's like it's fine and all but it's one of these things where you know where a game has one specific thing that it, it's meant to do which is either be walking or driving or whatever and the moment they add like a driving mechanic in a game that isn't a driving game it's like terrible and it feels like something that was thrown together at the last minute yeah well F fug 2 pretty much opened up the world on that yeah um, well actually the first dog i think there's a bit where you're driving that guy's car aren't you and smashing up your original town in philadelphia can you drive a golf buggy in one of them as well yeah, but it's when you get to Tony Hawk's Underground 2 and you're Steve-O driving a mechanical ball around Barcelona. <laughs> the, <laughs> That's uh, when you know shit's fucked. The merging of Jackass and skate culture really kind of came to a head at that point. Oh yeah, fuck 2 might as well just been Jackass, the video game. Because <laughs> yeah. they're all in it, pretty much. Anyway, I'm going to shut up now. Uh, let's let's talk about um, something else. Yeah. Contemporary. Um, so we got two news stories. I'll, I'll take the first one. Mark, you take the second. Um... I suppose in, in news that I think it Im immediately was quite shocking, but the more you kind of sit back and uh, and mull it over in your head, it, it kind of was probably inevitable, just not necessarily you could have gone, oh, it was definitely happening this week. Um, I kind of can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, Jeff Gersman is gone from Giant Bomb. Um... Jeff is like the elder statesman at this stage of uh, video games, media, journalism, coverage, whatever way you want to dice that, um, is somebody who I think, I, I don't know about Jack and Garrett, but I think I can safely speak on behalf of myself and Mark to say he's one of the most 
influential people in in video games in in our lives anyway um i don't think this podcast exists without arrow pointing down and the giant bombcast um I don't think I have nearly as much interest in doing podcasts as a medium uh, without like the, the, the three I always cite are like Kevin Smith's modcast, um, the bombcast um, and the, the Brian and Vinny show when I started listening to that in like 2006. Um, and it's, it's fucking wild because like you chart that guy's career and he basically, you know, I said it on, on my Twitter account, it's like he set the standard for what people in his profession should be several times over, like first at GameSpot, then, you know, his, the circumstances around his firing and building up from scratch with, um, giant bomb. And because he more so than anybody, especially since the passing of Ryan Davis in 2013 has been, he is giant bomb. Uh, to see him leave and him go off to do something like he started a Patreon which is doing fucking killer numbers already and more power to him setting numbers you uh, should all go to tnhad.com instead just son. yes or patreon.com slash WCW Thunderbird you gotta get like um, beefydaz.com maybe both or <laughs> some I, if look, you guys just if you guys just see me in a Starbucks just buy me a coffee if you like this show yeah. please um, so yeah to see the site go on without him is is unusual um i suppose I'll, I'll hand over to mark first as probably the person with the most to say besides me about it yeah i mean there's not much i can say past what you said there because again you know as you mentioned a, a large part of the reason that we started this podcast is that we were fans of the bombcast and we we were fans of podcasts that were still um a, a growing medium at that time um and you know i just wanted the place to talk about video games and we kind of felt like this is the best way to do it yeah. you, you uh, can see like the, the most productive way to do it you can see the, the dna of our love of the bombcast the most in how we do game of the year because it's essentially modeled it's, on how they used to do game of the year yeah 100 that's yeah that's probably the most uh, crucial thing in regards to like this whole thing that we do mm. but you know just past that again as you mentioned just in terms of like setting the standards he is someone that you know, and we can't obviously stand here and say that we can chart out his entire career and know the history of everything that goes on behind the scenes. Mm. But you get the feeling, at least in the sense that uh, he's never compromised for, for anything. No. You know, he's always had his laurels that he's kind of stood by as part of the reason he was fired from GameSpot to begin with. Yeah. Um, and I think that and that's actually the, the crucial thing as well, even with that and people always bring that up it's not a thing that he kind of rests his hat on then like no. that's you know the only thing and yeah. you know he could do anything afterwards and you'll always have to refer I, back to I, that i've obviously listened to a lot of interviews with the guy over the years and he will talk about it if you ask him about it but it's not a thing he brings up a lot to kind of go i am on a moral plane above all of you people you know he never He's like, for a guy who is as influential as he is, he's like remarkably low key about himself. I just, he comes across as he's very grounded, which is kind of wild for the position that he's in. And also kind of wild for the fact that he's also just, he's like somehow a really fucking weird dude in a bunch of ways yeah. in terms of his interests. And 
like his humor like and that's i guess the other thing as well when we just talk about the the video content uh you know like so many of my lasting memories of of giant bomb is through him being really fucking funny yeah whether it's the inca people dance whether it's his countless reactions and whether um, it's big jeffrey whether it's Big Jeffrey, whether it's everything in Mario Party and the world fucking him over, uh, playing that, um, uh, playing that uh, Turtles Connect game. Yeah, he just, you know, like as you mentioned, Bombcast does run through him. And look, leaving aside the fact that Jan's statement was clearly a, a corporate statement that he had to read off, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of, oh, I know a lot of what he said came from the heart. And the fact is, you know, Jan is someone that was from the community from the get-go so i do know i i feel that he was authentic of what he was saying even if it was a a written statement but he is right that bombcast will continue and it will it still has its own identity outside of here's the thing like i it's definitely a different vibe and it's definitely i am not as into it as a whole like there were like for a good seven eight years i was digesting pretty much everything they put out every video every podcast i even listened to the dumb f1 podcast a few times even though i don't give a fuck about f1 (laughs) um but yeah it, it like i do like a lot of the people there i do really enjoy and i dip back in every now and then i've really enjoyed uh jan and jess's uh silent hill series um i'm super hyped that uh uh tamor and lucy are now like proper core cast members i think like jeff grobe is as good a scoops guy as exists now will he ever replace patrick lepic in my heart he will not but he's like he's really good at what he does and of course they have all-time hall of fame (laughs) maniac dan reichert is now back as their creative director so things are going to get real weird. But uh, just to, yeah. to, to kind of like um, move over to the other guys here for a second, I suppose first, Gareth, I like I, I've talked, I've maybe never talked to you about whether you even give a fuck about Giant Bomb or Jeff Gersman. So this will be an interesting chat for me. I largely do not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've never been a subscriber. The most of their content... You have, you have no thoughts or feelings. No. The most of their content I've ever consumed was, like, Mario Maker previews, because Nintendo yeah. sent that game out, like, a month in advance. So a ton of yeah. people had previews, and they had a bunch of them, which were great fun. But, no, I've never been a giant bomb guy. I do have deep sympathy for a dude who's working in a corporate environment that is clearly crushing his soul. That's... that's yeah. You cannot help but so, be sympathetic for people who are creative so, individuals, people yeah. who want, like, creative outlets, and suddenly everything has to have an ROI, you know? Yeah. It, it has been interesting to read between the lines of... Because, obviously, there are things they are... People in these situations are going to say, things they're not going to say, and things they can't say. Those are three very different Mm -hmm. things and kind of doing your best to read between the lines without speculating baselessly. Uh, the things he said this week and the things that kind of, so Vinny, Brad and Alex on their uh, next lander, they have like a ramble cast and they got into kind of the, they didn't know ahead of time that Jeff was leaving. They found it in the middle of a stream and you have never seen three men look like they got hit by the same truck at the same time more than them trying to digest that in the moment. But then when they talked about it on the Ramblecast, they kind of alluded to that corporate structure 
you know, late CBS era and particularly since the, the Red Ventures merger because the three of those guys fucking split as quick as they could after the Red Ventures takeover. Um, and you, you have to feel that from what those guys are and what in their heads they think video game coverage is and what the people, they the community they have fostered over the years view or what they want from video game coverage, should I say, I can imagine how unbelievably maddening it would have been to be in those overly corporate environments that are focusing more on kind of like trying to, instead of like the pivot to video, which was the big bugbear of a lot of people who loved written content back in the day, it was the pivot to, you know, Twitch or, you know, get, getting in those, those, those Gen Zers, getting in those, those, those young teenagers and thing, things like that, instead of what made Giant Bomb special was that it was long, long form video content of people just sitting around and shooting the shit about video games and anything else. It was the real genesis of that kind of like that second era of uh, video game coverage where it became less about I'm looking for a review about this particular game and more I have identified common things I have with this person who covers video games. I'm going to follow their content because there's a good chance if they like a game, I'm going to like a game. I think the, I think they don't they call it personality driven content? Is not the like the yeah, ca- yeah. the catch all word for it now. But like, it's just to harken back on a thing there, and you said about the this idea of like, you know, you've got these corporate ventures that come in, and it's like, I would imagine that uh, a giant bomb that has to be pushed more through whatever kind of corporate funnel probably looks a lot like the, and you know, I appreciate the stuff that he does and whatever, but it probably looks a lot like the Jeff Keighley presentation mm-hmm. of, you know, sponsored content with these trailers I, yeah. and I, I suppose these very, very uninspiring conversations the, with developers the, the, who really shouldn't be on stage. The, the thing that scratched my head about it is that it looks, it probably looks more like the modern GameSpot. And yet I'm, in my head, I'm like, but they already have GameSpot. Red Ventures bought GameSpot yeah. as well. It's like, they already have that. Giant Bomb, the reason it was so successful at what it did was, one, it had very realistic goals and expectations of itself. And you know, it kind of, they could, like Jeff always said, they could have dumped absolutely everything on YouTube. They could have done something different than Giant Bomb Premium, but for the audience they wanted and the stuff they wanted to do, they were very successful with what they were doing. Um, I suppose, uh, let's bring Jack in on this as well. Um, Jack, you're a guy that's de- like, you appreciate Gersman and Giant Bomb, but wouldn't necessarily be as in the weeds as me and Mark, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, yeah, I mean, I never, I never got as deep in, but I really like a lot of their stuff. I think the personality-driven content conversation is really important. I think one of the things that podcasting threw open is that a lot of the time you just sit around listening to people talk who have a good relationship, and eventually you kind of feel part of it. It's like a weird community, you know, like their stories become you know stories that you enjoy like it's one of the things that you mentioned smodcast as being a uh, a really early like podcast that you got into and you know kevin smith and scott Mosher were doing that way before a lot of other people even you know people were still joking about oh what's a podcast type stuff you know um and you know kevin smith was such a 
intoxicating storyteller that yeah his stories became your stories that you were entertained by it the people he was describing you almost felt like you knew them because of the the way he was outlining it and giant bomb was always that for me it was when i watched it i kind of looked like i felt like i was veering into just watching a bunch of mates just clowning around and playing some video games which kind of doesn't feel dissimilar from my experiences with you know um mark growing up or matt or um you know mr biggs any of the people that i grew up with who i was good friends with and you know now we have this podcast and that's a great way for me to still continue to interact with with video games and you know giant bomb is i can spot the influences you know when i first started getting into it because i i didn't really know too much about it before we started doing this podcast and i kind of met and started speaking to you dave so mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like linkedin to the foundations of our friendship without <laughs> link, me even link, realizing linked into the cast it is LinkedIn. It's linked into the link to the cast. You know, it's it, it it's a big, it's a big thing. Um, even if it doesn't have as much of a a, a weight or a bearing as you know as, as I've maybe given it credit for, but it's still really fucking important. And yeah, it's sad that somebody escaped uh, the clutches of a corporate environment only to you know and started a thing with some pals only to be immediately sucked back in yeah straight sucked back into that corporate environment again that that's really tragic I think, I like think. the reality of being in a corporate environment it is it's, it's no longer we need to produce enough for us to eat and that's fine that's enough yeah once it's enough for us that's enough suddenly you're in the corporate environment where it's like well you have to show growth and you have to constantly yeah. show Constant growth. growth. it's it's the 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 james stephanie sterling thing of it's that corporations don't want to make more money they want to make all of the yeah. money and like re- realistically line, the line always like has realistically to go the economics of this have shifted like jeff gertzman has over six thousand patrons right now guessing based on his tiers he's making 50 60 grand a month he's probably gonna have his best financial yeah. year coming out of this unless he was making insane money a giant bomb which he probably wasn't so like i think like yeah. the economics of like them necessarily needing the corporate side just isn't the case anymore when you can self-distribute yeah. and self-monetize these things yeah yeah but no for sure and i was absolutely within i think five minutes of his patreon going live i was subscribed um i i, I think the the thing to ask or question now just to move slightly f- away from Gersman, even though obviously he is the, the kind of central story and, here and is still a threat obviously <laughs> of course um is like giant bomb going forward how how does that look how does it kind of come through this mm. because the thing i was thinking as like the nearest uh like version of this was you remember like dave when you know when we're talking specifically about like personality driven content there was a time where videogamer.com was like in terms of consumption for me probably not in terms of audience but even like you know some of their videos like the early matt lee's videos they did the abridged stuff for playstation Mm -hmm. were doing insane numbers so there was a period of time where videogamer.com was massive like fucking massive and even when matt lee's left and they stopped doing those videos they brought in they had like chris pratt for uh chris brat for a while not chris pratches um and uh but you know they had stuff like the miller report and like burns Burns. became burns just became whatever the fuck he is and and even like when jim trinker came on as well like they they had a really decent turnover of like very very talented people and continued to make really enjoyable content but then they got to a point where there was 
like a mass exodus and they didn't have the people in mm. even though they had some talented people like I think Alice Bell was very talented Colin Harris Colin Harris very, very talented but just you know the turnover became too great and I, it really felt like the, the money they had to work with was stripped away because I, I think there was a, some sort of takeover or something happened with them as well um, I don't think that's a, that's going to happen to Giant Bomb I think that their what they are at this point is too entrenched in and I think that the fact that you know it's one person that has left and obviously it is Gerstmann he is Giant Bomb yeah. but they've got all these other people around that have been there for a while um, I mean even like you know they've brought Jess in and I think Jess has just Jess is great. fit into that that whatever you know giant bomb is she fits it perfectly <laughs> you're just for a second there because you could have it sounded like a jazz is just fit i was like that's <laughs> extremely inappropriate mark but whatever um and look fucking bringing dan Riker back is a stroke of insane genius he you know they've injects uh giant bomb with a leaf by the way poison. by the way can i just say we could spend another hour on this show talking about how oh. WWE is such a horrible workplace that Dan Reichert quit. <laughs> I, I so hope he does a shoot interview style one day and yeah. just fucking lays out everything. Yeah, well, we've I already got one gem from this week is that Jeff Hardy has terrible Wi-Fi, uh, <laughs> yeah, which then know, became right. a sign at Dynamite this week. <laughs> so, and I imagine just over the... And, like, between the Gersman stuff, the Next Lander, and definitely Dan Riker, we're probably just going to get lines like this dropped every week for the next yeah. six months to a year, oh, you know? Um, have you... Oh, what was the clip? There was something... Da- oh, yeah. <laughs> We've already got one Hall of Fame Riker thing where uh, Dan... Uh, this week revealed that until this moment by the way he is nearly 40 years old uh, he thought that the outer shell of peanuts were put on them in in the factory he didn't think that the shells on nuts were a naturally occurring (laughs) phenomenon I mean, this is this is a man who <laughs> fried like eggshells, thinking that was the egg white. So. I thought Jason A. Striker was going to have a heart attack when he said that. Oh, I sad. don't know if he ever thinks about things yeah. as deeply. Oh, yeah. I think it, it, it just takes things at yeah. face value in a no. way that other human oh, no. beings like, would. Like one of my favorite things about the Beast cast back in the day used to be when he'd ask Vinny, who was like his surrogate dad, basically these questions like. Vinny, what are taxes for? <laughs> or, or Vinny, where does oil come from? Uh, I'm not a big giant bomb guy, but I did like consume a lot of Game Informer stuff, which is where Dan Riker came from. Yeah. And there's just a ton yes. of Dan Riker nonsense there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so Game Informer was the period where he was doing like the where he was trying to be healthy and eat egg whites, but he thought egg whites were the inside yeah. of the shell. So he was cracking eggs, throwing out the inside of the egg and trying to fry the shell. <laughs> <laughs> or like, one of the biggest earth- earthquakes in the history of wherever he was living at the time happened, but he was drunk and watching Star Wars, so he didn't know what happened. <laughs> Just, that is a human being about, who is know, well and truly one of one. Look, Look, yeah, there's no one like him. We met him twice at WrestleMania week, and it was probably the highlight of WrestleMania yeah, week that year. Yeah. Um, but you know what? You know what, Dan Riker? He is living his best life. Yeah. Oh, this is it. Like, no man has ever, like, had just an unbe- Like, his life. Again, he had an online feud with Jose Canseco uh, uh, that culminated in Jose Canseco writing the foreword for Air Force Gator 2 by Dan Riker's. 
Um, but yeah, enough about Giant Bomb, except for the fact that I will say, if you want your week to be improved tenfold, uh, all you have to do is go on YouTube and search Jeff Gersman hates Dan Reichert's opinions. And that is... <laughs> 15 minutes of pure fucking gold, my friends. <laughs> um, final news story this week. Uh, the Keelys were on this week, Mark, and we got some some news. Um, have you got a list of things we found out there? I do have a list of Or is it just things. like, is it just you've written Cuphead 25 times in a row? Because that's all <laughs> well, I fucking care about. Yeah, no, I do have a list here. I will be honest. I got to a point where I, I actually just turned the thing <laughs> off because I was losing it. Bless Jeff. World uh, premiere. Bless Jeff as a guy who, like, fails to deliver more often than he doesn't, but also you still have some amount of goodwill for. It's it's a strange mix he with is, Jeff Keighley. I, I, I don't think there's another person in entertainment who does the, uh, like, s- borderline obnoxious smarmy uh hey tv show host kind of guy personality thing that i actually kind of like more than keely i just find him he should be incredibly off-putting to me but he's like like this this corporate chill because he has the best intentions he just he just wants the best for video games yeah. He just loves video games so much. He's just, you can't help but root for him, even if he's like, our show has nothing but The Last of Us remastered that leaked like four months ago. Yeah. Mm. Even if sometimes he does come across as a bit of like a vapid shell yeah. that, you know, if you asked him for to formulate an opinion on anything, it would be, you know, just, I, hey, it's all great. I did appreciate how he popped up in the Giant Bomb video announcing Riker's return, by the way. <laughs> That was good stuff. <laughs> that was good. But anyway, good stuff. yeah, go on. All right. So I don't have stuff in the order um, that the uh, show actually went. So I'm guessing IGN are just doing it by what they think of the most. Just a lot of space things, games. There's I many argue, space games. Yes, there's a lot of space games. Spaces back, dudes. Um, the first thing that IGN starts with, unsurprisingly, is the fact that we have this Last of Us remake, which speak like. I, I know why this thing exists, but the, all right, the best thing I've seen so far at this whole Summer Games Fest is there was a picture of uh, two clips of the original Last of Us and this new version of Last of Us. And you know the pictures of Alex Jones where he's side by side topless and yeah. he's meant to have like lost weight, but he doesn't look any different. This for me was like a complete like, yeah, I get it because... Obviously, the game does look a little, a little bit prettier, but like, hey, that original version and that PS4 version, you didn't really need to do much more past that. And uh, it actually kind of feels like they've taken away in terms of sort of the lighting and whatnot and some of the atmosphere. And I'm not saying this is going to be a like a, a Silent 2 remake issue where with the fog and whatnot, but I don't know. I just Is this just the most fucking... Um, what's the Cynical cash-in. Cynical cash-in, there we go. That's absolutely what I was looking for. Dave, you'd be the one to ask about that. I mean, I know all cynical cash-ins, Dave Ryan. Yes, I I think um, probably the high watermark is still remaking the remake of Resident (laughs) Evil 1. (laughs) (laughs) Or releasing, like, the original three Mario games every two to four years and having the gall to charge people for it every time. They've only actually remade them once, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, They they remade Mario 1 twice, didn't they? True. True. Yes. Um, but but yeah, they're charging it, full price. For yeah. This as well, do you know? Right? It feels like one of those where it's like, I I don't remember the big like, we want a remake of Last of Us Part One, 
I really don't feel that that was there was a big groundswell on that one. Like the Snyder uh, like, cut, this was not like Barry, friend of the show, Barry, who is almost distressingly into Last of Us, wasn't clamoring for this. It's just the thing, like, like you know? there's nothing wrong with the first one. Like, when you remake Link's Awakening no. for Switch, you like, all right, so it looked pretty old in the Game Boy, and, you know, having to go in and out of the menus to switch your items is really annoying in that game. So you remake it, you smooth over some of those problems. We were just talking about Fire Red, very good remake, where you take some of the quality of life stuff from the first, the original generation, it's really annoying, and fix it. There's none of that with this game. It's a modern video yeah. game. Yeah, Garrett, that game came out nine years yeah. ago. <laughs> that, when did the... Like that, uh, if you think about, it, if you think about, about it. the gap between Fire Red and the original Pokemon is probably about the same, but like the yeah. jump in technology between Fire Red and the original Pokemon Red is humongous. As opposed to here, yeah. where the jump yeah. in technology between, like obviously this released on PS4, was like touched up for PS4, was remastered. So the jump in technology from PS4 to PS5 yeah. is negligible. In, in in nine years, you have released a game, remastered it and remade it. And like it doesn't, it doesn't do any harm, you know. It's not like the worst thing a company could ever do, but it's just like make a new game, Naughty Dog. You're good at it, and yeah. because it is being done in house now, it was originally being done by an external studio, but they brought it in house, which means Naughty Dog are committing resources to this remake of a game that's not even a decade old that they've already remastered instead of making something new and cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts because this does seem like the sort of thing you think they would just pass off to another studio. I, that if they yeah. if they were like we're remaking yeah. Uncharted uh-huh. One, I'd be like you know what kind of cool. That's a game that is a little rough around the edges. Maybe it would look quite nice if it got a full bombastic PS Five Twenty Twenty Two remake. But freaking Last of Us, why? I don't know. Well, we have also got a Last of Us multiplayer game that has a story and is apparently as big as other Naughty Dog games. Um, it, we don't know much more about it, but it will arrive in 2023. Uh, on Barry's stream last night, he was kind of talking up and bigging up about the uh, the multiplayer in that original Last of Us. Um, I would have to take his word on it. Dave, I don't know if you touched much of the, the multiplayer not in that really. original. You know me and multiplayer, mate. Yeah, I know. I know. If it's not Splatoon, what are we doing? Exactly. Yeah, um, so I don't think any of us have a particularly strong opinion of that. Um, I have to say, right, this Street Fighter VI model version of Guile looks a lot like Woody Harrelson to me. I don't know if it's just me, but it's all I'm seeing. And that's about as strong of an opinion as I have on Street Fighter VI. Yeah, I couldn't care less about Street Fighter VI either. You didn't mention the Last of Us TV show, by the way. Because I don't give a shit. Yeah, I know. I just think it was just like there was so much Last of Us content that was announced. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing like for a Jeff Keighley presentation, you know, The Last of Us is that big AAA thing to hang your hat on. So last year whatever. he had Elden Ring, though. Yeah, people yeah, that's like he ended that. on Elden Ring last year, which, you know, no matter what he has, when you el- end on Elden Ring, it's like, thumbs up, Jeff, you did it good. This year he ends on The Last of Us and not even like we're making The Last of Us Part 3. I also kind of dislike that they're retconning the name to be Last of Us Part 1. Yeah. Upsets yeah. me a little. Yeah. It's just a li- little bit annoying. Yeah. Well, well, they didn't end the show on Alien Stark Descent, um, which... 
The thing I found amusing about this is that this was 98% of a, uh, you know, cinematic presentation and then about a 2% like mm. jump cut of about three seconds of actual gameplay footage to show um, that it was some sort of like tactical it, isometric shooter. Aliens games are fucking hilarious to me, man, because there is no, there is literally no telling what the fuck you're going to get because like Alien Isolation was fucking rad, but then you got shit like Colonial Marines. I generally at first thought this was a Colonel Marines HD like remaster, which would have been the best. I would have been all for that. Um, but no, it looks to be some sort of tactical, maybe XCOM. No, I think it looks more like The Ascent from last year. Um, but you wouldn't get that from the cinematic trailer. So Has someone just What is the company that makes these games? If they just got the rights to Alien and they're just trying to throw shit at the wall constantly to see if it sticks. It's Ridley Ridley Scott. Just by himself. (laughs) I'd actually be curious to find out because I don't know who owns the rights to Aliens or if it is just Ridley Scott just throwing out to different studios going, here, try and do something with it. Make Aliens relevant again. Yeah, just licensing shit with absolutely no care as to what the outcome of the product was. Mm. Like fucking toweling off his head with big wads of cash that he's taken from all of these video game companies to use his shit. Uh, we spoke about this a little bit last week because it was in the state of play. Uh, Dave Ryan, the Callisto Protocol. You mean it's definitely not Dead Space? <laughs> it's definitely not Dead Space. How <laughs> dare you? Yeah. Um... Look, I, I know, I, I'm self-aware. I will play this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any. I don't think anything uh, well, better well, summed I mean, up the entire uh, showcase than they showed that like gameplay sequence, and they cut to Jeff Keighley who said, "Deadpan, that just happened." <laughs> like Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Oh, <man. laughs> In 2022. Jeff. Oh my God. But to to not be so cynical for a second, uh, Dave, like you know, genuinely, what did you what did you make of this? I I mean, look again. It feels funny because we just talked about Alien and um and and then obviously this is this is Dead Space. It's not Dead Space, but it's Dead Space. Um, space is one of the the best settings to do a bit of a horror game. Um, because of the kind of like the quiet, the, the the claustrophobia, the vacuum of space, all this kind of stuff. And look again, as somebody uh, who was once and mentally very much still is a child, space is fucking cool, man. Um, and yeah, it look it looks good. Uh, whether it actually turns out that way or not, I am I have gotten extremely extremely skeptical in my autumn years. Um, I don't care how good a game looks until it's out in the wild and people actually say it's good. Now I I do not get my hopes up whatsoever. But I would have really enjoyed a new Dead Space, and this looks like it's going to give me that kind of vibe. Um, I haven't haven't enjoyed a good space game since Prey a couple of years ago. And that was like I God, I love Prey to bits. Um so yeah, I'm hey, ready. Hey, Halo 4 is in space, kind of. Yep, but I I think well, Halo Infinite, I sorry. think Prey is better. Isn't th- this is out Strong in shout. December and then the actual Dead Space remaster is out in, in January, isn't it? Or remake? Yeah. Funny how that yeah. times out. I think that's right. Yeah. That is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, December 2nd, uh, this is stated, scheduled to be released. Mm. Yes. Uh, Modern Warfare 2, I, this is where I started to lose interest I'm, in this show. I'm mad at this. Um, 
I don't give a fuck about Call of Duty, but when it was explained to me um, today that this is not a remake of Modern Warfare 2, no, it no, is a it's sequel an original to... Game called Modern Warfare 2. Yes. That makes me... <laughs> Yeah, oh, this industry I, I is can't even so explain to you. stupid. <laughs> but, it's, yeah. but it's not just games. Films does films will do this as well, right? Like we've had a number of conversations over the last six months about yeah, like horror films in particular, in terms of you know. Yeah. So make new things, I don't know. you I don't cynical know what the dumbasses. <laughs> Or or make old things with different Just names. A different name, so that there's not two games called Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two. And they will almost certainly at some point remaster the first Modern Warfare Two, <laughs> so which will be fucking. Wait, wait. Will it be Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two Part One? Uh, yeah, a Square Enix pill to call everything ridiculous names. It's so much better than calling everything the same name. Final Fantasy 16. Let's just keep going. Just keep yeah. the numbers going up. Call of Duty fucking 78. I don't... Like, yeah. This, well, this, is the, this is the industry that gave us the naming convention. Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, Xbox Series yeah. X. I know. I know. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we did Sony, a whole Sony thing about that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sony um, just numbers. Numbers are easy to comprehend. Although, I'm sorry, like, I, I realise the mainline Final Fantasy series is fine, but let's be honest, there are many, many Final Fantasy games that have some ridiculous names no, and conventions and whatnot. Much better. I'm, I'm, I'm on board yeah. with them now. Ignored. Call everything, yeah. like, Integer Volume 4, Part 2X, Over 4. <laughs> every, every, yeah. Remastered. If the video game title doesn't have some kind of division in it, it's not, or it's not worth it. <laughs> Yep. If you don't have to crack out some sort of algebraic text to work out what the game is, you failed. If I, if Elon Musk wouldn't call his child it, you failed. Uh, Elon Musk. Layers of Fear is a psychedelic horror chronicle made in Unreal Engine 5. This is from Bloober Team, who may or may not be doing a Silent Hill 2 remake, yet to be confirmed. W- were um, you watching this live when Blo- when they talked about Bloober and, like, scariness? I was like, oh, here we go, Silent Hill 2. And then they were like, <laughs> no, this is a new thing called, and at that point I switched my brain off. Yeah, uh, I didn't actually see this trailer because I must have switched off by this point, I, so I, feel- I have no... I, I feel like I relate so hard to because I, I watched I skipped through some of it but I watched like the giant bomb coverage of this and at the very start they were making a joke about how Jess O'Brien lives in a perpetual state of expecting Silent Hill news and either not getting it or it being bad Silent Hill news and that, which that, is all Silent Hill news yeah, yeah it, really, it, had, it has been that way for quite some time um, since about 2014 um yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns uh, reveal with Spider-Man and a release date of October 7th. This, this was uh, the period of the Keeleys where it was like, hey, that looks cool. I'll take car game. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't mind XCOM style games. Um, sorry, I, don't, I didn't mind XCOM, but I don't need a Marvel version in, in of In a year, that. Mario and um, Rabbids 2 is supposed to come out. Why do you need anything else? That is what my next point was going to be. I full agreement, Garrett. Uh, if that does come out this year, then what the fuck do I need this for? Come on now. But um, sc- scheduled for October 7th. Um, so, cool. 
Uh, we had a gameplay trailer for Gotham Knights with Nightwing. Uh, apparently, that thing is—is is that still scheduled no, that for this year? Is that what they confirmed? Yeah, got and cancelled on last gen. Okay. Yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, also, also, Turtles. it's the one that's being made by the uh, the people who made the Arkham Origins and Blackgate instead of the actual ones people enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so TM- TMNT Shredder's Revenge will be released uh, six days from the, reco- the recording of this show. Uh, and it's also coming to Game Pass, uh, which is fabulous. Um, and it has a six-player mode. So uh, we need to find two people to get on board for when this comes out. Uh, we I'm- don't know two other people. Don't be so upset. Hey, we can get Barry and... Barry's girlfriend. Barry's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't see whatever the fuck this is about Saint Row. Does anyone no, know what this is? I had this on the background today while I was watching. It's like, it's, so I, was like I missed half these. Trailers. It's like it's like a. F- it's a character creator. Yeah, it's like a free to play character creator thing for the new game. Yeah. So like you make your character before you go in and play it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've been extremely cynical about the the moves towards uh, rebooting or reviving Saints Row. Because uh, I feel oh. even the original people involved in it, it was lightning in a bottle. And uh, speaking of naming conventions, what's is this Saints one called? Row, is Saints Row two two? I think so this is the second think, Saints is Row. Is this two. one just Saints Row? This the is just one? Saints yeah. Row again. Yeah, yeah. They they again. went for the the God of War. At least call it like Saints kind of Rolls. <laughs> like come on. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Fucking do some demons or an alien and aliens situation here. Saints Row, Colonial Marines. Yes. The Saints Row. Yeah. Just add the. <laughs> yeah. Go the, go the opposite of what Justin Timberlake or says. Call it Saints Row. Just put in the posture just... there. Row, comma Saints. Yeah. yeah. So many options. I know. But a, a game that has an excellent name, all right, is Cuphead: The Delicious Last Course. And what I'm finding wild is I've had so many people over the last couple of weeks finally realize what like the delicious last only course when Jeff Keighley yeah. said it on stage Mark did it click on my head it's like oh how see <laughs> I'm very Ow. stupid you see that's how <laughs> no I mean I know this to not be true so I'm not a smart person Mark baffling. I just project an aura of smartness I'm like the, I'm like the, the yep. podcast version of putting on glasses <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, one of us is making the Patreon money, so I was, clearly you've been I, I was going right. to say, once again, look at me and Garrett's side hustles before you ever accuse us of intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the long-awaited Cuphead Delicious Last Course is almost here to be released June 30th. Um, and today, today it went gold. Yeah, today it went gold as well. So that thing it is coming. Past search, the whole thing. It's actually coming out. And only eight Europeans. Which is insane. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, we'll all wait and see to see how much content is in here, but eight euros seems like an absolute steal for this. Yeah. I and watched this trailer and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm never fucking <laughs> playing Cuphead. <laughs> it looks like a nightmare to play. Don't worry, Jack. You will have, if you want to watch some footage of it, I will absolutely be streaming this. So um, that's fine. And I'm yeah. sure you and Dave will be talking about it. So I'll know everything about it. As long as I just don't have to play the shit, I'm fine. It's a source of eternal disappointment to me because I want to suffer vicariously through you. Nope. It'll be like the me and you equivalent of when I made Mark play the witness on stream. <laughs> I just think 
Nothing like, could be I, as bad as that. I quit Elden Ring due to cowardice. I'm not playing so, cup. Somebody today, literally today, I swear to God, said to me, have you ever heard of a game called The Witness? And I pissed myself laughing because like I I loved playing The Witness, my time with it. But my uh, the only thing I think of when I play The Witness is how like legitimately mad Mark got beside me on the couch <laughs> playing it. <laughs> Oh dear! It's a stupid game. <laughs> stupid game for garbage people. Uh, yeah, Neon White uh, is coming June sixteenth. So Jesus, yeah, this is coming soon yeah, as I, well. I didn't realize um, that. This, and the Turtles it, game is out on the sixteenth as well, isn't it? So that's a, that's a good week. E, yeah, and what I also didn't realize a is that this was created by uh, Ben Esposito, who was behind Donut County, uh, which is a favorite of mine. And also, this has Steve Blum doing some voice acting, who is also well known as uh, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. So anything that he's associated to, I'm probably going to have to play. Hey, Mark, um, remember the Cowboy Bebop remake? Uh, it, look, it wasn't as bad as some people made it out to be. It was it was mid. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, but this is coming to PC and Switch June 16th. So, yeah. Um, Everybody go buy Garrett's Patreon just so you can tell him it's mid and he has to take it because you're giving him money. You know, you were talking about uh, getting me to buy a URL, Garrett. I might buy garrettismid.com and direct it garrettismid.com. <laughs> it's cast the feet, doesn't it? Don't hang up. I'm going to sit here in silence, sadly. <laughs> Yesterday was my birthday. Just. Ch- <laughs> yeah 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 checking through, checking through a couple of other things finally uh witchfire looked like some sort of medieval first person shooter which i guess we've not had this sort of tonal setting kind of felt like a sort of elder scrolls first person shooter for a bit there's a lot of names on this uh show which just screamed we've run out of names for video games now oh stormgate was the worst fucking one yeah. by far stormgate i believe is a white supremacist website of some description <laughs> it does sound like doesn't it, it doesn't it stormgate oh, is a, a show from the uh, sci-fi channel from like 2004 yeah. <laughs> a series of very unsuccessful fantasy novels <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, Troy Baker showed up and then proceeded to talk for about half an hour about Fort Solace, which looked very uninspiring. I've got to be perfectly honest. Do you know what? I've never really looked that hard at Troy Baker. He's a ridiculously handsome man, isn't he? I mean, he probably makes a lot of money, so, you know. Yeah, I know, but like, I don't know. Brian Blessed probably makes a lot of money. <laughs> <but> I, How? <laughs> dare you <laughs> that's that's exactly who i would think of to make a, a point like that yeah exactly um but yeah so we had that as a this sci-fi type horror game coming and then we had another sci-fi horror type game coming called routine which i didn't realize this was a game from like 10 years ago that i guess had been in development hell i wasn't aware of it um but I think the selling point for this game is the fact that Mick Gordon is doing the soundtrack for it, uh, which is pretty fucking cool. Uh, and it's had scary looking robots. So, for for a second there, I th- my brain thought you said Mick Fleetwood was doing the soundtrack, and then yeah. I got disappointed when I realised it wasn't. Uh, probably my favourite trailer of uh, of this whole festival so far was the Goat Simulator Three trailer. Um, I did not until it was explained to me get the gag that there wasn't a goat simulator 2 yep 
I, I just I, saw, I was aware of that. I just saw the headline that there was a Goat Simulator 3 and I was like, Jesus, they're already on 3. But that is such a good, dumb gag. Like, you want to talk about... That, like we were giving out about the naming convention here. A great subversion of that is to just skip straight to three. Yeah. And, and never I, discuss that there wasn't a two. Yeah. And I enjoyed it as well because I was watching the start of this trailer and I was like, I've seen this trailer before, but that trailer before looked much better than this one. Why does this one look so bad and so janky? And then obviously, you know, a goat appeared. It's all right. All right. I get it. Um, I... I was never really that fussed about Goat Simulator. Um, it's one of those like it for- the, the Garrett Kidney method mm. is best. The the joke is good for it's 15 minutes. It's a one note idea where you're like, go, bang, okay. Yeah. I, I don't even think it's that. I think it was just a, you know, like it exploded around the time that um, watching people play games on YouTube it was, started to really it was, get big. It was like the, the maybe the apex of that that period of games that had like Octodad Surgeon Simulator, uh, the iconic I Am Bread. Um, <laughs> I, I genuinely, you could have made that up and I would have just nodded along. I have not heard of I Am Bread. Guess what you do in that game, Jack? You play a slice uh, of bread. Really? Yeah. Do you just sort of waggle about yeah. and make sandwiches? With, uh, like yeah. hook up with you, other slices of yeah, bread to make a sandwich? You, your goal is to toast yourself and, and things like that. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that was the same team behind Surgeon Simulator. Um, And there was a bunch of other stuff. There's Warhammer, whatever, I don't care. The other thing... It's a weird name for a game. The only thing that I want to bring up is what the fuck was that Dwayne Johnson saying Oh, he's so bad. This is a man who legitimately at one time could call himself the most charismatic man on planet Earth. That is a claim he could have made, and it would have been true. And to watch uh-huh. him cut this shitty, meandering, amble, ambling promo about, I, God, Lord knows even what. I have no idea what he was talking about, Did- other than he ended on a pitch to Black Adam. And I'm like, he definitely shielded an energy drink. I know that much. Because oh, he always bloody does. It's the energy drink of the whiskey, no matter what. He freaking flo- Or tequila, was it tequila? Yeah. Tequila, Terramana tequila. Yeah, it, um, I've never had something that, uh, screamed more uh, like an alien descended to earth five minutes ago yeah. and was rushed in front of a camera and was told there are things called video games. We don't have times to explain what they are. Now go. <laughs> like, I am not a man to believe in conspiracy theories. But if you had told me that The Rock was killed and replaced by a pure robot, I would 100% believe you, because this um, is not the same human being. I refuse to believe it. He is not the same human being. <laughs> yeah, and it's not its not the first time. It's not the first time he's been involved in a video game conference of this description and was much more charismatic in that one. What's happened to the man? Like, I don't understand. He's such a, like, a just generic, empty, dead-behind-the-eyes pure beef bot now, as opposed to an actual charismatic human being. And it's so strange. And The Rock used to be one of my favourite people. Yeah. And now I just look at him, and it's just like, plug tequila, plug uh, uh, to freaking energy drink, make some kind of slightly relatable content, bleep bloop, promote the trailer. <laughs> He's just like he is a corporation now. He's not yeah. a, a person. He must have enough money at this point. He has an ungodly amount of money. <laughs> yeah, that's why I would assume, right? He, he has enough money to run for president. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Mind you, didn't like him and Ryan Reynolds 
as a, is it aviation gin why have all these people is it well, because, because of- george clooney had had his brand i can't remember what it was was a vodka and he sold it and he literally became a billionaire wasn't it this was it him or puff daddy that did it first though is it chiroc yeah i want to say it was chiroc uh and yeah like made a shitload of money from that and now they all just have their own alcohol yeah, brand turns out people enjoy hooch yeah they do turner and hooch or hooch from scrubs which one who oh, man hooch is crazy yeah hooch is crazy um anything else mark from from the keelys not really. No. I mean, from the Keeleys, no, specifically, there's a ton of stuff uh, that's been announced today. It's kind of appropriate um, that The Rock's horrible segment stopped us dead in its tracks, much like it stopped yeah. that show dead in its tracks. I just, <laughs> I was just like a gasp of what the fuck is this? Why is he still talking and why is everything he's saying so bad? The most charismatic man um, on earth. He was. He really was. Go back and watch. He really was. Uh, that's going to do it for another episode of Link to the Cast. Thank you very much for tuning in in spite of us. Um, at Link to the Cast is where you need to go on Twitter to keep up with the new shows as they're posted talk to us about what kind of things you've been enjoying on the show what you'd like us to cover what you'd like us to play uh, what puzzle games you'd like us to make Mark play um, <laughs> uh, individually <laughs> I'm going to sample that noise <laughs> individually I'm at the day today Mark is at Lithium Project Jack is at Jack Lazell and the birthday boy is at Garrett Kidney uh, thank you very much for tuning in and we'll talk to you all next week Happy birthday, Garrett. Thank you.